hey, Wolfies, are you ready for the bite? That song was really special. And I always like finding Stidia songs. So Is that your ship then? <laughs> Definitely have some listeners who will be excited to hear yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. That's how Jackson Whitmore learns that we don't grab people without their consent. Kate, what's it like sharing your name with a psychopath? And this, my friend, is the episode in which a ship was born. A magnificent ship. At the same time, a a kink and a survival tactic that you have. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by... Clissa Mullis. And Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series, One Episode at a Time. And this week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 4, Magic Bullet, one of my favorite episodes. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. This week's Howl Out goes to Kristen Konzelman, Rachel C., Kathy Wallace, Ashlyn Siobhan, and Natasha Perkin. This week's five-star review comes from Becca 5777, who said, love the podcast. Thank you so much, Becca. This week's episode is Magic Bullet, and it was written by Daniel Sinclair and directed by Toby Wilkins. And a fun fact is this is the first episode of the series not directed by Russell Mulcahy. Allison's aunt, Kate Argent, comes to town to help Chris track down the Alpha. She fires a shot, but instead of hitting the Alpha, Derek is struck by a poison bullet. Without the antidote, Derek will die. He enlists Scott's help to retrieve another bullet from Kate that has been laced with a rare form of wolfsbane known as Nordic Blue Monkshood. Styles is stuck with Derek as Scott suffers an uncomfortable family dinner with the Argents. So, Calissa, do we have a favorite quote from this episode? Our favorite quote from this week's episode would be Derek telling Styles, Start the car, or I'm going to rip your throat out with my teeth. The honorable mention for this week would be another Derek and Styles exchange where Derek says, you faint at the sight of blood. And Styles responds, no, but I might at the sight of a chopped off arm. A chopped off arm would be pretty intense. And also, I feel like there would be a lot of blood involved. Doesn't sound like fun for anybody. <laughs> Although, I mean, honestly, in that scene, Derek is like, like he, it's not like he had to be convinced to do this thing. It's not like he had to be talked into it. It was just, here's what we're doing. Either he's committed. Scott, yeah, he is. He's like, like he thought this out. Like, I feel like the whole day he's just been going through all of the, like a checklist in his mind by certain points in the stages of, of sickness, getting up his arm. He's like, okay, I can just lose the hand now, or I can lose this or that. It just keeps going further and further up. And at some point he's like, all right, the whole arm, whole arm's got to go. 
and he's just ready to do it. There's yeah. like no ifs, ands, or buts. And he's just like, get to chopping. I love Derek. And I love that he will commit to an idea, even bad ideas as the show goes on, but he just commits. <laughs> he does. He's not no a, wavering. No, he doesn't second guess. He's like, is this what we have to do? Then we do it. That's right. as far as, that's all he needs. You know, he's just like, whatever will help the situation or whatever they believe will help the situation, he will just dive headfirst into and then deal with the consequences later with just one stumpy arm. So, but, 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 okay. So in that scene, Derek says it'll heal. Now, was he saying that it'll just scab over and be a stumpy? Yeah, I think it's, yes. Because if it was just a matter of like, I feel like if it was just a matter of like, okay, if you top it off, I'll just grow another arm. He would have done that right away instead of waiting. Right. Like eight hours later for Scott to In hopes that he wouldn't have to. Yeah, I mean, I yeah but I mean, he could have cut his own arm off at any time. Right, but I think yeah. that, like, that's that's Calissa's point, is oh. that the if he thought it was going to grow back, he, I feel like he is the sort of person who would just be like, well, my arm's got to go, but it'll grow back and chop it off. Yeah, he totally but, would, I feel like. But knowing that he would never get it back, I think he was like, that's going to be my last resort. Okay, got it. If, let's say, in an alternate universe of this show where he did cut his arm off and it did grow back, would it be like that little baby hand in Deadpool? You know? when You're he... the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Notice Will was the only one who wanted to laugh at that. <laughs> you can't see him, but he was just so on the edge of wanting to laugh. He was so excited about the joke he was about to make, too. I bet it feels huge in that hand. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> so it was wrong before. You are now the worst. <laughs> so I actually have read fix like that too. That were like <sighs> what would have happened, and it, I was like, should I? Oh, I thought you were gonna read ones about like Deadpool's tiny hand. No, <laughs> what? No. Does that exist? Yeah. No, that's that I mean, I mean, definitely exists. exists. It exists. So this episode starts with a woman driving her car when she gets attacked by the alpha. But little does the audience know that she's fully prepared and she just breaks out the big guns with special bullets even. It's a fantastic opening scene. It's I feel like this is the type of teaser that Team Wolf excels at and which many episodes will have, you know, where it's just something super creepy and then it has a turn. Yeah. Jeff in the writer's room was very conscious of and he always wanted us to look for how can we change the scene? Like, like, can you give us what's the thing everyone expects and then how can we twist it? You know, and definitely this this moment right here where it's like you think the alpha is just going to attack this poor defenseless woman and then she's totally got all the guns. You know, and she's even like screaming, come on to the alpha. Like she's totally ready for a fight. You know, she's full Joker over there. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And this is, and who we discover this to be is Kate Argent. This is Allison's aunt and Chris's sister. And she seems very intense from the beginning. It's a perfect character introduction for her and such a fantastic, like just in general, like, like you said, it's, a very fun introduction because they completely twist our expectations. But yeah, it's just so fitting for her character because mild spoilers, she's batshit crazy. Yeah. She is insane. She is truly Teen Wolf's pure chaotic evil. And I remember reading something, I think probably on Tumblr from a fan that was like, 
there is something kind of interesting about getting to see a woman getting to be pure chaotic evil because all those archetypes are typically male, like the Joker. And this is one of the very few examples, I feel like, of a female character that's just evil to the core. Someone that you can't reason with. You can't really bribe or blackmail. You certainly can't blackmail because she has no shame about anything. You really can't bribe. She just, There's no talking to her about anything. There's only stopping her or not stopping her. Right. Like the Joker. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And this is kind of mild spoilers, listeners, but I feel like it's pretty evident by this episode that if but you just episode, pay attention to what she's doing and saying and how she does things and how she looks at certain people at certain times but then also the very last scene where chris is like hey we're totally gonna kill some werewolves but we're gonna do it honorably and she's like yeah wink <laughs> wink <laughs> wink totally does. you know and so i feel like you can honestly say just by watching this episode and not knowing anything that's going to come forward that you can that we can say she's insane that she's kind of crazy pants over yeah. here. And she's definitely one of the best characters of this entire series. Oh, yes. She's I was gonna just say, like, amazing. I find her to be so appalling, but also, yeah, one of my favorites because she's just incredibly well-written and, and something, yeah, like Kate said, we don't see a lot. A woman just getting to be that crazy evil person. Just pure, pure, unadulterated evil. Yeah, and Jill Wagner plays her to, you can't see it, but I just did chef kiss, to perfection. You know, like, honestly, like, I can't imagine anyone else in this role because she's just so good at it. Like, I mean, from the start, you know, she just inhabits Kate Argent, like, to her core, and it's fantastic, you know? I mean, honestly, every character on the show is like that, but I mean, like, she's, I feel like, like that, but more so. You know, so, um, yeah. I like that she plays most scenes like she's biting back a laugh, which I I guess is just, again, a a Joker connection. But that's how I feel about her character. Most of the time, it looks like she's biting back a laugh. And to me, that's exactly who that character is, is that she's just like, no matter what's going on, she's enjoying herself yeah. yeah she's charming and flirty even whenever she's like threatening someone yes it doesn't matter if she's trying to like you know play herself off as just being like i don't know if she mostly even pretends to be sane i don't think she does. yeah no i don't think so at all and you're absolutely right because i mean the scene at you know we're gonna jump ahead but the scene at the end of the episode when she's confronting scott you know where she's i mean she's threatening him you know, yeah, but, you know, but really you're kind of like, things. yeah, she, but at the same time, you're like, I don't like this. Do I want her to search me? You know, type of thing where it's like, <laughs> this seems like it could be okay. But in the back of your mind, your lizard brain is just run, 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 because something awful could be about to happen right now. I feel like she's kind of like the personification of the scorpion and the frog Yeah, where it's like, oh no, it's totally awesome. And then she hurts you and you're like, well, what'd you expect? You know, it's like, I never lied to you, you know, and all this type of stuff. So, but she's just a great character. Awful, but infinitely watchable. Like, you're like, oh, she's doing awful things, but I can't look away. Definitely. So. Well, would you like to talk about the blanks that were used in the scene? We use blanks throughout (laughs) the series, but just not all the time. So there are a lot of times where we have uh, people 
pretending to shoot a gun just because the scene, it wouldn't be safe with how the scene is choreographed or like if we're shooting in such confined space. So, you know, shooting blanks, uh, you know, because blanks, while they're not bullets, they're still very dangerous and they are incredibly loud. I remember, uh, I think it's like in season five or six where there's some gunfire. And I remember we actually had blanks on the set. And I remember sitting at Video Village and we all had our, our, head, our ear protection on and we we're watching the, the, the playback. And through a wall, I could feel the concussion shaking my shirt of just wow. the, of the bullets because it was, and it was inside of another set that I won't tell you about that. But I mean, there's a guy firing an automatic weapon you know, crazy, like he's, he's firing crazily because of some stuff that's going on. And you could just feel it like just rattling my shirt, you know, through a wall. It was, it was intense. It was totally awesome too. And I, I shot a video of it and put it on Twitter and it was awesome. Yes. But there are just sometimes like, like sometimes you'll see characters like fire a gun right into camera and stuff like that. And that's not blanks, you know, it's just too dangerous to do something like that now. So we would use what's called, um, uh, a plugin, which you do in post where it's a either artificially generated or someone has shot a gun like against a, a black backdrop and then just kind of copied and paid and just kind of cut out the muzzle and put it on top of another gun. And um, so sometimes you have to do that just for actor safety. But there are plenty of times like in this episode and more episodes coming up in this season and throughout the course of the series where we are shooting blanks and it looks dangerous and crazy because it's dangerous and crazy. So, but what's also rough is that uh, Kate is hunting a werewolf. You know, she believes she's hunting the alpha, but she ends up getting on the trail of Derek and she shoots him with a magic bullet the alpha is there too. That's right, because Derek's hunting Tracking is also alpha. hunting the He's alpha. Also, yeah. That's right. Derek is also hunting the alpha and she shoots him instead of the alpha. And it's a magic bullet that leaks blue, misty, smoky stuff, and it looks just awful and painful. And uh and awesome. And, and totally awesome. And, awesome. and totally awesome. And Scott sees this. No, so I'm sorry. Scott doesn't see the shooting, but he sees Chris and Kate talking about shooting one of the wolves. And Chris is like, how long does the wolf have? And she says like 48 hours max. And then Scott goes home and goes to bed. He does. Just purely he, hoping that's the alpha and not Derek. He does. It is a bit crazy that he, he hears this and he knows of two wolves in the entire world. And one of them's a monster and the other one is a handsome local boy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't uh, he doesn't just pick up the phone and be like, hey, Derek, you totally like get shot tonight, did you? Because he would have discovered that he did totally get shot that night. And yes. I'm sure Scott thought to himself, I know of two wolves. Do I care I, if either of them is dead? Right, exactly. Like if either one of them has 48 hours to live, regardless, <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> It's all half my problems tomorrow. Yes, I have lacrosse tomorrow. I have more important things to think about. Poor Derek. But poor Derek. Aww. He his life is so hard. It's very hard. Like he is constantly struggling just to almost just stay ahead of not dying. And then Kate comes around and just shoots him with a gun, and his arm gets all gross and gnarly. He's got to maybe cut it off. And uh, poor guy. Just poor guy. And he, he, he comes a hard time. He does have a hard time. And he comes to school the next day looking for Scott because he needs Scott's help. And he's just like shuffling through through the corridors. He's got his cool leather jacket on. He's dripping blood. And he just looks like death. Like he just he looks like that 48 hours is coming real fast for him. And he finds Jackson 
And he's like, tell me where Scott is. And of course, Jackson thinks Derek is Scott's drug dealer. The one who provides him with his juice. His juice. (laughs) And Jackson wants some. He wants some of that juice. And Derek doesn't have time for it. So he tries to push back or he tries to push past Jackson. And Jackson, you know, kind of lays hands on him. And Derek claws him. He's a no-touchy kind of guy. He is a no-touchy. Derek does not like to be touched. He does not like to be touched. And he, like, claws the crap out of Jackson's neck. Like, bad. You know, and... It looks pretty, you know, Jackson's pulling away a handful of blood and it looks really rough. I hope he went to the nurse and got some ointment. That's how Jackson Whitmore learns that we don't grab people without their consent. Sometimes you have to have a harsh lesson. Now, I'm personally a big fan of Derek looking like he's dying, but that's just a me thing. That's your type. It is. And I have a lot of time to enjoy that throughout Teen Wolf because there's a lot of different characters who go through the whole near death face looking sort of gaunt yes very pale and weak sickly sickly it's it's at the same time a a kink and a survival tactic that you have like definitely just only going out with people that you could physically overpower if it came down to it Mm -hmm. which is probably important in beacon hills yeah 100 percent. scott goes to school and this is where we find out that scott's starting to fail his classes just because he's too busy with his new wolfiness and Allison. And lacrosse. And lacrosse, of course. The trifecta of Wolfie, Allison, and lacrosse is taking up a lot of Scott's time. The Triskelion, if you will. Oh, (laughs) listeners, you're going to learn about that later, and it's going to be pretty cool. But yes, the Triskelion of things that are causing Scott to fail his classes. Yeah, and as far as Allison goes, when they have study sessions, as we shall see in this episode, they do not study. Unless they're studying sexy time. Biology. Oh. Anatomy. Oh, it just gets better. As we said, Derek sat at school looking for Scott, but Scott doesn't have time to deal with him he has to go he has plans with Allison so he sticks Derek with Styles and this my friend is the episode in which a ship was born a magnificent ship ship. epic ship Styles and Derek Steric if you will yes it is pretty awesome I mean the moment Derek gets into Styles's jeep they have incredible chemistry together they're 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 back and forth in basically every single dialogue scene is incredible and it's just incredible i don't know how to describe it it's just great it just feels like they happened upon it feels like jeff and the writers of the first season happened upon a dynamic duo who were like perfect to be in scenes together and spoiler alert there will be more scenes with styles and derek together and they always play off of each other beautifully derek is always the straight man and styles is loaded with humor and just Styles' reactions to everything Derek does in this episode and in future episodes is always played to perfection. Like when when they pull over in the Jeep, when they're trying to figure out what they're going to do and what they're going to do with Derek. And he's like, he's like, pulls up his shirt and you see the bullet wound and Styles is just like, oh God, what is that? You know, it, it's just, it's fantastic. <laughs> is that all contagious? Of, is that contagious? Yes, all of his reactions are just fantastic. And I feel like the thing is, is like, Styles very much is the everyman of the show, you know, uh, especially in this first season where he is just, I feel like he reacts the way we all would react 
in this situation because like all the other characters on the show are kind of like turned up to 11 in this heightened reality of beacon hills but i feel like scott or styles is right where the rest of us would be and anytime anytime something happens he's either like that was awesome or he's like this is the grossest thing i've ever seen (laughs) and it's it wildly vacillates between the two but it's just his reactions are always like just normal people reactions and they're always brilliant they're always funny and there's there's definitely sort of a an opposites coming together to create great friction type thing there because Derek is succinct. You know, like when when Scott comes to ask him stuff, it's like, Derek, am I gonna hurt someone? Yes. Could I kill someone? Probably. What can I do? This. I mean, it's just like that's how he responds to questions. Yeah. And Styles is not that thing. Styles is loquacious. He likes to talk. He likes the sound of his own voice. And so it's funny seeing them have conversations together because it's like Derek is a planet and style, you know, that's like still and Styles is like this little moon with a super intense uh, hyperactive orbit around him. Absolutely. (laughs) It just makes for really, really interesting scenes. Absolutely. I think Styles is very much like Michael Scott in that Michael Scott says at one point in the office, sometimes I begin a sentence and I have no idea where it's going. <laughs> and, and I feel like Styles is like that a lot of times too, especially when he's trying to get out of something, usually when his father has caught him, you know? <laughs> and it, it, so it's just like, he just starts talking. And, and I think Styles is that type of person that's like, if I just talk long enough, I will probably wear this person down and I will get out of whatever situation I'm in. doesn't yeah. always work, but you know, he is close sometimes. Whenever we were interviewing Alyssa Clark, one of the writers of Teen Wolf, she actually said that Jeff actually gave Dylan O'Brien the chance to riff on a lot of his lines just because he's just so naturally funny. Dylan O'Brien is very funny and he has great comedic chops and great improv chops. So, I mean, and that's great when you have a character like this who is so intense in a word and but also who uses his mouth to get into trouble but also to get out of trouble so it's a great mouth (laughs) yeah it was kind of as you were saying it I was like I wonder (laughs) 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 what the response to that is going to be in terms of your choice of words it's a great but I I also (laughs) I also remember um when we talked to Jeff that he said that, you know, some of the executives were a little uncertain about Derek being funny mm-hmm. and whether that would undermine sort of the mystique of the character. But Jeff felt like it humanized him. And yeah. I think this, his scenes with Styles are some of the best examples of that because there's something about Styles that is kind of needling that, that like, just kind of picks at him until he's not able to stay totally stone-faced like he normally is. Yeah, right. I feel like it really helps to flesh out the character when we have Derek scenes with Styles because, like you said, when he's talking to Scott, it's just one-word answers. Right. And, yeah, he st- doesn't, like, wax poetic with Styles or anything, <laughs> but we just get more reaction. He's not just, like, arms crossed, just threatening him all the time. Right. Well, he threads him, but in response to just how annoying Styles Styles seems like the kind of person who can break him, not because he's strong or has any power over Derek, just because he's just so annoying to him. He, will <laughs> he doesn't know how to deal with him. He doesn't know how to deal with a little annoying human. Yes. Yeah. 
That's very true. He doesn't know what to do. It's like a little annoying yap dog or something that it's like, <laughs> you just can't deal with. I feel like Derek understands that he could beat up Styles but it wouldn't stop style that, yeah, you know, you know where true. it's like, like Scott, I feel like if he punched Scott, he could probably get him to change his behavior a little bit, but I feel like he could just punch the hell out of styles and styles wouldn't stop that. He would keep asking questions and being annoying and all that. So it's just like, I feel like maybe Derek understands that I can't do anything about this. Like I just have to endure this other person who I have to be with, especially in this instance where I am, severely incapacitated and I have to have this this dork look after me and make sure I don't die you know the the old unstoppable force and immovable object right do you know what else is an unstoppable force and an immovable object horny teenagers and responsibility Scott and Allison go to her house to study and Scott's supposed to be finding this bullet to save Derek who he knows has a ticking clock before he dies But Scott's a teenage boy with a very cute girlfriend, so he's easily distracted. This is whenever we're first introduced to Allison as an archer. She shows off her skills, which throughout the first couple episodes, we, we get a hint that Allison has had a lot of different hobbies that she's put herself into. She was into gymnastics and photography, I think she mentions. And poetry, I think. And poetry, but what she's really good at is archery. Seems to be a family skill. Yeah, since that's how we were introduced to Chris Argent as well. So Scott ends up getting stuck with a family dinner with the Argents. Oof. It seems rough because as, as he and Allison are in the garage and she's showing off, you know, her compound bow and everything and Scott sees all of the guns that Argent Arms sells, in quotes, people, we're we're quoting it here, that Argent Arms sells, they get caught by uh, Chris Argent. And instead of uh, Scott kind of being thrown out, he is invited by Kate to join them for dinner. And it leads to an incredibly awkward dinner scene with the entire family. I think we got, yeah, we got Victoria, we got Chris, we got Kate, and then we have, in the middle of all three of them, we have Scott and Allison. And it seems very awkward. Now, I've been to some awkward dinners. You know, the first time you're meeting, like, your boyfriend, girlfriend's family and all that. It can be kind of rough. But this one's even more so because of the before-mentioned guns and crossbows, also werewolves and hunters and werewolves. And Kate's there. And Kate in this scene is just fantastic because she's just kind of just needling the whole situation. You know, like, Allison is trying to shut it down. Allison is trying to get her dad down from an 11 to like maybe a five or a six or something (laughs) like that. And and dad, Papa Argent, is not happy that his daughter has a boyfriend. And so he's just asking Scott if he wants to have some beer or tequila. And then he sort of not makes fun of, but he calls out Scott's performance on the lacrosse field when he won, when he made the winning shot in their final game. And then Kate just keeps asking questions that keeps needling Chris, but also kind of trying to get more information out of Scott and Allison's trying to cover for him. And it's just incredibly awkward all around. And Kate, I believe, uh, asks for a little more information on lacrosse as a sport, which Scott tries to provide. Although she then says what you're describing is a different sport called field hockey. And it's just very uncomfortable for poor little Scott. 
when she finally understands how it works, she says, sounds violent. I like it. And that's, red that's flag. also, that's, that's red a flag. major red flag. Red flag yeah. number one. Of which there <laughs> are like many. Well, at least this is red flag number one that Scott's involved with. Okay. You know, that yes. Scott is kind of seeing. That is like number one of this night that he is in. And there's going to be a couple more. There's going to be some up. more. And the others are more of a hmm, sexual harassment nature. Yes. Um, so Kate has a type, and that type is underage boys. Correct. It, 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 it. This is minor spoilers, but yes, there is some of that later on that we learn about. But in this episode, it's very clear because Kate catches Scott when he's poking around looking for that magic bullet. And, you know, he says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go in there. I'm looking for the bathroom. And she points him in the right direction of the bathroom. And as he's walking away, she totally checks him out. Mm, And it is very gross and uncomfortable to see. But again, dear listeners, Kate's a monster. Yes, like which she calls just brown eyes. Yeah, brown eyes. Every time, I, I think I wrote that. I think I wrote that. Yes, in the notes where I put, like, yes, this is the first instance where she calls Scott brown eyes. And then I wrote, I'm very scared for Scott. Yes. Like, I'm very scared. Because, you know, like, nicknames are fun. They can be cute and all that. But then I just feel like any nickname that comes from Kate is just the, I need an adult right now that is not Kate. Yes, and to protect me. Yes, yes. Everyone needs protection from Kate. It doesn't matter who it is. Everyone needs protection from Kate. But luckily, Scott, instead of going to the bathroom, he finds Kate's room. And in her bag, he finds the magic bullets, the bullets we're talking about. And on the, it's like a, the bullets are in this like really cool, looks like a hand carved wooden case. And on the top of it, it has Latin. Is that right? Was it Latin? Or is it French? French. It's French. French. It's French. In French on this box, Scott translates the words and it, what he discovers is that it means, or that it translates to Nordic blue monkshood, which is a very rare form of wolfsbane. And we've already established that wolfsbane is not good for wolves. And so Derek has been shot with a very potent and rare form of wolfsbane. And we've already seen what it's doing to him and he's starting to run out of time. So Scott slips one of those bullets into his pocket and he has to unfortunately head back to dinner because he is just not escaping this awkward, awkward dinner. Awkward and scary. It is scary. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on in this scene. And <laughs> Chris gives this fantastic, but also horrifying speech about a rabid dog he has to put down. You know, he's probably not talking about an actual dog. That's what makes it just so horrifying to listen to. Right. And especially for Scott, because yeah, he, he knows that Chris Argent is a werewolf hunter that when he's describing putting down quote unquote, a rabid dog, what he's actually describing is killing a werewolf like himself when they're probably in the throes of lunacy, shall we say, caused by the moon and not in control of their actions. So to hear that description delivered with some detail by Chris Argent when he's inside his home, pretty much defenseless, surrounded by werewolf hunters, it's very scary. It's very scary. And that's even without taking into account the very aggressive sexual harassment he is withstanding from Kate. So it's a very scary meet the family dinner overall. And while all this is happening, Derek is just getting worse and worse. I mean, Styles calls Scott to tell him that Derek is starting to smell like 
death. It's not good. It is not looking good for Derek at all. And they've got to figure something out real fast. And what Scott suggests is that Styles just takes Derek to the animal clinic because it's the only place they know where they can be alone because they know that Deaton is gone for the day. And so that's where, so that's where Styles and Derek go. And in the process, you know, Derek is losing blood, but also he starts losing clothing. You know, one of those is bad. One of those not so bad. So it's kind of like a <laughs> trade-off. trade-off. It's a trade-off, total trade-off. And then, you know, so Scott knows that Derek is running out of time fast and he's finally able to inch his way out of this super awkward family dinner. But before he can actually get through the doorway, Kate stops him and accuses him of stealing something from her bag which he has done. We know this for a fact, but it gets pretty intense when she's accusing him of stealing something. He's totally a deer in the headlights. He does not know what to do. He's very he intimidated. Just a trembling little puppy. And I don't mean that in a way that's disparaging towards werewolves. He's just, he has <laughs> puppy energy and Kate is just bearing down on him. And even worse, I mean, Kate's bad enough. Kate alone would be bad enough. But then there's Argent like standing right next to Kate. So he's getting it basically with double barrels at that time. And it looks like he's going to get caught because she's like, you know, turn out your pockets. But then what happens? Allison decides to step in and save poor Scott by revealing that she was the one who had been in Kate's bag and she had taken a condom out. Oh! Shocking. And I think it's safe to say that this is my favorite Scott embarrassed moment of the entire (laughs) first season because when he sees it, he just like looks away and almost like pushes his face into the door as if he could just (laughs) melt himself through the door and out of the house. And it is just fantastic. And, And Chris looks suitably embarrassed and Kate looks embarrassed, but I feel like there's like a hint of like... She's a little bit proud. She looks like she's going to be like, high five to Allison. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's really funny and it's great. And so it's it's a great end to the scene because the scene, like like we've said before, many scenes in Teen Wolf where it's like super intense and then you get the great turn, you know, where you do something unexpected and you totally think that Scott's caught because he did the thing he's been accused of and... He is powerless in this situation, like you said before, that he is surrounded by guns and werewolf hunters. So, I mean, there's really no way for him to get out of this. And if he actually has to turn out his pockets, he's caught. But then you just get this great moment where Allison steps up. She's like, nope, it was totally me. I was looking for a condom, which I found and I'm going to (laughs) use. Once again, Allison has game. I mean, you you had, you know, during the uh, double date, not group date. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, You know, she tells Scott to think about her naked. And then you have this scene where I guess she's been thinking to herself, well, we might be boning down soon. And I believe in safe sex. Well, Lydia is actually the one who tells her to wear a condom. That's true. Lydia is is very much about, about safe sex. And then Allison, kind of oddly, if you ask me, thinks to herself, where can I get a condom? I know, from my aunt's bag. I don't know why she didn't just ask Lydia. Because Lydia, Lydia would have totally without given question, her has condoms that she would give Allison because she too believes in safe sex. You got to get you some, but you got to do it safe and smart. That's right. No glove, no love. No glove, no love. After I lost my virginity, one of our friends gave me like a little like basically congrats on the sex and here's like a bag of like everything like safety and everything everything you would need is this Chantel? 
that was E. Oh, that tracks too. Yeah. And I just feel like Lydia would do the same for Allison. You're absolutely right. She should have, I don't know. I, I'm honestly, now that you're saying the surprise when, when they're talking about it earlier in the scene, Lydia wasn't just like digging in her purse. I'm like, here you go. Right. Yeah. Here's a condom. Because then we wouldn't get story. So, and we need love, intense story. I love Lydia's sex positive outlook throughout the show. Absolutely. Yeah. And it gets, we, we get kind of more uh, context on that later, which is great. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the um, show all around is very sex positive. Chris doesn't seem to be more threatening once he finds out they're going to be having sex than he was throughout the rest of dinner. Right. He, he's, it's not like, let's break out a gun and threaten you, Scott. That's very true. Polishing it while talking to them. <laughs> yeah. That, would, that is a total like Chris Argent thing to happen at some <laughs> point where he's just like questioning someone as he's putting a gun together or like cleaning it. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. I mean, that's totally something that would happen. But I mean, it is great that the and you're right. You're right. I mean, it's great that the show is so sex positive, but Chris doesn't become more villainous right. because of this thing now. But I honestly feel like it's like he's already up there. Like, I mean, he's already super intimidating. And I feel like to go any further would just be cartoonish. <laughs> I, I, I think it's because he like when he when he says that his concern, well, I don't think he verbalizes it, but his concern isn't you shouldn't be having sex. His concern is I know about how much more complicated the world is than you realize. And I'm still trying to find some way to protect you from it. But it's mm-hmm. not like a sex phobic thing. It's not about sex. It's about what he knows about the world that she doesn't know. You know, right? It is almost like that thing where he he thinks that Allison is like Allison's keeping a secret, and he's racking his brain trying to figure out what it is, and he's like. She knows. She knows us. Like she knows all the things we've been keeping. Oh my God. How, what are we going to do? How are we going to explain this? And then she's like, I had sex. And he's like, oh, is that it? Oh. And, you, and wait, Ooh. and you were safe about it? You, <laughs> were, you were safe? safe? Oh. Oh my God. Well, I, hey. We raised you so well. <laughs> you know, it, it's that type of thing. So you're right. It is, it is, it is that type of, that, that type of story element where it's like, Chris knows so much more that normal adult parenting stuff is just kind of like kid chill. stuff. It's chill. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this isn't, this ain't a problem, but don't you dare bring home a werewolf. So we'll <laughs> little does he know. Here. Little does he know. So like you, you were talking well about what being your favorite moment whenever Scott's embarrassed. What so I good. love <laughs> is whenever he steps outside and it, you know, he's just, there's such relief from realizing he got away with a bullet, but it takes a few minutes for it to actually click the condiment that Allison wanted to have sex with him. Yeah. And then he had this big smile on his face and you're like, oh, that's where the relief had kind of ebbed and his mind had a moment to process the sexy implications of what just happened. Exactly. adorable doofus. He is. He is an adorable doofus. And he's, I think he's just a great teenage character. Right. You know, especially put into this elevated situation where he's like i didn't die that's so good wait my girlfriend wants to have sex with me right you know it's just it, it's, it's, and he's just like he just has this big smile on his he face he feels like it, a real teenage boy he yeah. does he, he feels like a a real teenage kid that you would meet and like like his reactions are all this is how how a kid would react to the situation you know and it's it's just wonderful. I feel like these are just these wonderful little pops of levity in the middle of an episode that is very intense, you know, because we have a character who's like knocking on death's door 
at this exact moment, you know, but it's just, you, you get to remember, cause it's, it's so easy, I think, to forget when you're dealing with werewolf hunters and alphas and all this, cause it's like the stakes are up to 11 end of the world stuff that he's dealing with. But it's like, but you remember, he's just 16. He's just a kid at the end of the day, you know, so you get these, just these little wonderful moments of levity where he's embarrassed and just trying to, again, will himself to melt through the door so he can just get out of there, you know, and, and, and the then, world but also, never opens up and swallows you at the moment that you would like it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but then of course, like Calissa said, there's just that moment where he's like, Ooh, I got out of there with my life. And then it, it dawns on him what the condom actually means, you know, and it, it's just wonderful. It's just adorable. It's a great, it's just, beat. it's just so good. And so yeah. meanwhile, though, Derek has just informed Styles that Styles has to cut off his arm because apparently Scott's just not going to make it there in time. Nope. And so uh, what he was saying is that the the wolfsbane that the bullet was poisoned with is in his bloodstream yeah. and he has to get it out of him before it reaches his heart. That's the point where it will be fatal. Exactly. And since he was shot in the arm, he tells Styles, you know, if Scott doesn't get here when it's getting close to my heart, it's either cut off my arm or I'm going to die, which means you're going to have to cut my arm off. And there is a bone saw because we are in a place where surgeries take place normally on animals as opposed to, you know, shape-shifting humans, but still Styles doesn't love this idea, um, which I don't really blame him for. Derek is still trying to threaten him while on death's door to go through with it. Whatever it takes. Cause you know, Derek, is not afraid of like consequences and stuff. He's like, right. what does it take to succeed in this moment? And if that means cutting off my arm so I don't die, he's like, well, thank God I'm a righty and it's my left arm. I'm coming out on top here, you know, and type of thing. And he's just like, just cut it off. Just cut the sucker off. And of course, you know, Styles is holding this giant bone saw. And he looks like, he it looks like a kid too, where you're like, like that's he's right. gonna throw up. <laughs> he's gonna throw up all over. That would have been fantastic if he just like throw it up on top of Derek or something like that but he's not the person doing the throwing up in this scene is he he is not no Derek Derek uh coughs up what looks like black blood um it's the first time we see it in the show not the last time not by a long shot when you want a guaranteed like gross moment throw up something black it's just all it takes love the look of the black it looks great it looks like ink you know like it does gives it this it's so uh, creepy yeah it it is like ink black and there's something about seeing that come from a person that just feels so wrong you know jeff was the one who came up with that i have no idea curious i would love to know the origin story behind the black blood so this is also the first but not the last time that we see derek writhing on the ground shirtless but thankfully Scott makes it there before Styles can start cutting off Derek's arm. But oh, he drops the bullet. He does. It gets really intense because Derek passes out. Like right when they get the bullet to him, he passes out, knocking the bullet out of Scott's hand. And it rolls beneath the table and into a grate down below the floor. And it's just like every problem that can happen, happens. You know, it's like they need the bullet, they find the bullet, but they get caught. They get out of that situation, but Derek's going to lose his arm. Oh, but the bullet's there on time. Now Derek is passed out and we've lost the bullet. You know, it's Murphy's just, law. It, it's Murphy's law. It's just, it's wonderful escalation. And, I, and that's definitely something that 
Jeff loves. He loves escalation. That that every time you, whenever you have a win, you have to have a turn as well. You have to, it's like, hey, we got the thing we want, but now there's a new problem. And now we solve that problem, which leads to the next problem. And it, it's just a fun ramping up of tension. Uh, we get to see Scott actually exhibit some control over his new wolfy powers because he's able to grow out his claws and use them to, to grab the bullet. It's a great scene. Because, you know, like leading, this is episode four of the season and leading up to this in the previous three episodes, Scott hasn't really had much control of the powers. Like usually he's like upset or his heart's going really fast and it causes a shift to come or he's getting his heart's going because of maybe some sexy time and we pop those claws and all that. And it's never good. <laughs> like he's never, he's never wolfed out or used a wolf ability to his advantage. Like uh, lacrosse. Well, willingly. Like, I mean, in all the- He fucking backflips out there. That's true. But every time that happened, he has like that look on his face like, oh, did I just do that? Yeah. It it does seem like he's, when he first starts to shift, he's like, oh shit. That's true. I just like, he was over there doing- Yeah, no, he's- Definitely profiting from uh, it. He's profited from it, but he has never willingly said, he's never like, I'm doing this to gain something. But this is a great moment because you're absolutely right, Calissa. He shows control. Like he- Grow, he pops his two claws and is very, he gingerly gets the bullet out from the grate and it's fantastic. But Derek is still unconscious because of the rare wolfsbane in his blood. So there's Don't an interesting- Don't to give him a little love tap there with his fist. <laughs> with his fist yes. right in the face. I'm very, so, uh, that moment even on rewatch surprised me because I feel like if like so, if I was going to like hit someone to break, to like wake them up, I wouldn't punch them in the face like I feel like a slap is what you would think but after spending the day with him I think he wanted to punch Derek (laughs) but also probably thinking he's a werewolf is a slap enough to bring him out of it very true I had not thought about that he does seem sincerely panicked when he thinks that this might be the moment where they're either going to wake Derek up so he can do the antidote or he's going to die right that second. Yes. And he punches Derek in the face and he punches him right back into consciousness. And Derek isn't even groggy. He doesn't even need to take a second to reorient himself. He just snatches that bullet out of Scott's hand. And with his teeth, he rips it out of the shell casing. Excellent. And so it's, it's fantastic. And so like Wolfsbane comes out of the, the bullet portion and he, he just jams it right in that hole. Like, I mean, like we see like a close-up. He is just jamming his finger into that hole and it makes my spine chill every time i see it because i'm just like oh oh god oh it just looks awful and painful really has to dig into that wound yes with the thing that caused the wound in the first place that is confusing i i am a bit confused by that bit where he lights it on fire that's true and fire is cleansing we all know that but oh, oh I'm not sure if oh, he would. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> well, what have I said? oh, what have I said? Yeah. Oh, Derek would rip my throat out for that one. Oh, yeah. But oh, I, I didn't. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hill family. <laughs> sorry. Well, I can't hear that because they're a pile of ashes. But um, wow. oh, I'm just making it worse. But uh, yes. So he he jams the the wolfsbane into his arm and then lights it on fire. And it kind of no, does no, this. Wait a minute. He lights it on fire first. Yeah. And then jams it into his Oh, arm. I thought I was, I'm misremembering. I thought it was the other way around. That's right. Yes. He lights it on fire, jams it into his arm. 
and we see kind of like the poison kind of recede out of him and and yeah like his his veins were kind of black yeah like blue black and it was very gross i love i don't know who did the makeup for that but it looked really really cool it looks awesome it looks great no it looks really good and it just looks like just cut that arm off it's just come on let's just cut that arm off this is is this worth it but apparently it was worth it because it worked and it's fantastic. And it Styles us- says, that was awesome. And then he has to deal with his inappropriate boner. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then Scott, well, uh, I think Styles is like, are you okay? And Derek gives him an expression that I think is meant to convey. Obviously not. What kind of stupid ass question is that? And then Scott sort of kills the mood by being like, well, hey, I saved your life by bringing that bullet. So now don't ever talk to me again. I hate you or something. Like that. <laughs> and then kind of says something like, you know, if you try to talk to me again, I will go to the Argents and tell them about you. He actually says they're a lot freaking nicer than you. And I'm like, footage not found outside of Allison? That's true. Yeah. That's true. The only The only one who's been nice to you is... The one that has been making out with you really hard. Uh, all the other ones Chris. are scary. <laughs> all the other ones are scary. Like, Chris has already attacked him. Chris just doesn't know it was him. He doesn't know. And he kind of did some, like, threatening through. I guess Victoria hasn't played much part yet. Yes. But she just looks intense. But she looks intense. Kate, she was very intense. And she did like say like, oh, I don't know if you're just stupid from stupid. Yeah, like, she thought which she was, was mean. She was mean. It was mean. Very was mean. mean. But yeah, so I don't know why he thinks they're a lot freaking nicer than Derek. But. He, has, he has some kind of blind spot with Derek. There's something about Derek that he just cannot. Probably because it abide. took three episodes to tell him that he wasn't the one who bit him. Yeah. Yep. I feel yep. like communication issues are a thing we've discussed in the past and yes might be a Derek problem. is so bad at words <laughs> he's succinct with them but they are bad words so. <laughs> so Derek says he can show Scott just how nice the Argents really are and what cesspool of awful things do we go to an old folks home and this is where we meet other surviving member of the Hale family Peter Hale Derek's uncle He's the only person who survived. But did he survive? Half of his face is scarred up. He's like a Batman character. Fan of the opera. That's better. So Peter is in a vegetative state and has been for the amount of years. years. For the last years. Six years. (laughs) Six years. He says it in the scene. He says six years. Peter has been in a vegetative state for six years since the fire happened. And it's rough. And Derek is like, this is how nice the Argents are. This is it. This is what they did. They burned down a house filled with women, children, and men, not all of whom were wolves. And, and, but of course, Scott is kind of being a jackass because he's like, well, they probably had a good reason for it. Yeah. Scott said, yeah, he says something that I feel like it's hard for me to forgive him for this because yeah, he says, well, they must've had a reason to burn down your house and kill your entire family. Yeah. And I, I think it's still not obviously smart on Derek's part, but I do think that gives us a little insight into why Derek didn't immediately tell Scott that he wasn't the one who bit him because when they have that first conversation before they're interrupted by the hunters, Scott doesn't ask him, 
did you bite me? He just says being a werewolf is the worst thing ever. And I think Derek gets a little triggered, a little offended on behalf of his people. Because as we learn, Scott is a wolf because he was bitten, but Derek is a wolf because he was born that way. Right. And that's true of the rest of his family, his siblings, his parents, his uncle, they're all born wolves. You know, they, they are what they are from birth. And so I think he just, he only, he gets distracted from sort of the, the important thing at hand, which is telling Scott, I'm not the one who bit you and instead gets really riled up about, you know, how dare you say such things about my people? And then the conversation gets derailed by, you know, arrows and stuff. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Scott, Scott in this scene, he's just, I, I guess it's just his sort of bias in favor of Allison and her family as opposed to Derek and his family. But yeah, Derek has just said 11 people were trapped inside this house as it was lit on fire. With kids. With children. And also, you know, werewolves heal very quickly. So it was probably not a quick death. I never even thought about that. Yeah. And and to say that, you know, because you're right, wolves heal pretty fast you know and then but to see peter like he's been like this for six years so the fire must have been so awful that he hasn't yet healed right at six years like i i would assume he is healing on some level but if it's taken six years just to get this far right i mean how how long is that going to take you know and it's just like that's how bad it was you know but again children yes children were some there. Of, some of whom were some of whom were human yeah and so yeah just like the it kind of it goes a little bit toward explaining why Derek thought it was a good idea to try to threaten Scott into not playing lacrosse or not being around Allison because in his mind he already knows what the consequences are and so whatever he has to do to get Scott to understand or whatever he has to do to get Scott not to reveal the fact that he's a werewolf and get his own family and friends killed is worth it to Derek. Yes, absolutely. Derek is very his it it definitely feels like up until this point in the in the series that he's his concern is that more people don't die that he wants to save people. He's not great at articulating that sometimes no. because of the things you just said. I mean, you're, you're right. Scott is very accusatory that first night. He's not like, hey, did you bite me? Because that was lame. <laughs> he was like, F- you mother. <laughs> you know? and, then, and you're right. And Derek's like, oh, oh, well, let's pump the brakes and then arrows and guns and right. all that. But you're right. I mean, Scott is very accusatory. I mean, he in the was it the previous episode? He like goes to Derek's house. He's like, I know you can hear me. You ruined my life. Stay away from me and all this type of stuff. And <laughs> so he's just like assuming all these things, which is upsetting. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we all, if someone just throws accusations at us, it's like, hey, you murdered your sister. Exactly. Yes. Asshole. Yes. We all know what that's like. It's not fun. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that instantly puts you on the defensive. So, right. I mean, in most... In, most of, if not all of, the scenes between Scott and Derek, Scott's pretty accusatory immediately. So, and Derek's on the defensive, and I get it. He still could have said, like, hey, brah, I totally didn't bite you, brah. Oh, my God. But he doesn't. 
Right. So no, yeah, he's definitely really bad at yes. communicating. <laughs> That's um, Frat Wolf Will, not Teen Wolf. Oh yes. Frat Wolf. Jersey Shore Wolf. But um Big Wolf on campus. Nice. Uh, nice. But um, nice. yeah, it, he he's super awful at communicating. But I do think that this scene and this extra information that the fire was not an accident, that it was absolutely intentional to murder them for yeah. being what they are, what they have yeah. been since birth, goes a long way to explaining why Derek is so, why Derek is the way Derek is. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. And and he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else. Like, so, I mean, I, I feel like, obviously he's got a heart of gold. It's in the right place. It's just not great at, trying to articulate to other people why he is the way he is. But of course, this also goes back to trauma. I mean, he's been through a horrible trauma. Yeah, he should go to therapy. Lots of wolf therapy. So much wolf therapy. Going back to frustrated by Scott's loyalty to the Argents in this first part of the season, only because of Allison. He is latching pretty hard onto the family as a whole, despite their treatment of him, except for this one person. Yeah. He needs to separate his love life from his wolf life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We get to see Allison in this episode picking up uh, on her family's lies, though, because Kate and Chris tell her different stories about why Chris had to leave in the middle of the night to go get her. That's right. Uh, Chris, I think, says that Kate had a flat tire, and that's why he had to go get her. And then later on, Kate says that she needed a jump start. And those are not the same things. I know, I don't know much about cars, but I know those are the same thing. <laughs> Allison sees broken glass, which she realizes means that one of the windows had been broken for Kate's car rental. I don't know, she'll get her deposit back on that. So Allison is starting to pick up on some weirdness going on with her family. Both of her, both her dad and her aunt are hiding something and she doesn't know what it is but by the look on her face at the end of it at the end of this episode i feel like she's gonna try and get down to the bottom of it and i wonder what that means because she's gone 16 years without knowing the truth about her family and the greater world and it seems like if she starts asking questions and digging around she might find out the truth before chris wants her to or before he's ready to reveal it all himself but kate wants her to know it right now she keeps she pushing does. chris to tell her she thinks allison's ready she thinks that she's strong and i guess committed to the family and killing werewolves so uh it's going to be interesting seeing how all this goes forward because the last scene of this episode is chris and kate talking and they're making plans because kate's here to help kill the alpha first figure out who the alpha is yes who is the alpha is the great question of this season. It's the mystery that everything is wrapped up in. And I'm very excited to see the show moving forward and figuring out who the alpha is. Cause there are a lot of characters on this show and it could theoretically be any of them. So we have a great rogues gallery of potential suspects and Kate's ready to, to kill this alpha and you know do whatever it takes to protect the world from monsters but chris mm. exactly exactly all this is in quotes this is this is all in quotes this is all in quotes well that's what chris believes and chris and chris is like hey we're gonna do this by the code the code exists for a reason this and is our first mention of the code right 
I think it is, which I guess the Argents, I don't know if it's all werewolf hunters, but the Argents for sure do their hunting by a code. And it's something that Chris is very in favor of. And I feel like he lives his werewolf hunter life by. Kate, on the other hand, not so much, I feel, based on what she says. Although Chris seems to be going along with it. But again, like we said earlier, she's like, yeah, we're totally going to do that. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) And then she lights a big fire dramatically. Dramatically. So it's, uh, I I feel like some bad stuff's going to come from Kate in this season. And probably... Some people are going to get hurt and I'm not excited to see who gets hurt by Kate. So I actually have the sweater that Kate wears, the blue guest sweater with the shoulders cut out. And I love it. I got it from the Teen Wolf wardrobe sale whenever the show was over. That's right. When the show ended, the costume department sold off a lot of clothes. And And Will took me there. That was awesome. See, we put up some pictures from that. On, on our yes. Instagram of the costume department tour. But yeah, yeah, we sold off some clothes. Uh, and I think all that money went to, to charity. And it was cool. It was really, really cool. I think, did we sell off Roscoe too? So I heard that Dylan O'Brien took Roscoe. Oh, I don't know. It would have gone for a lot of money, I'm sure. Don't I have pictures of the both of, both of you sitting in Roscoe? Yeah. That was like from one of our the very first, first set tour? That was very first. first. Oh, was that the yeah. very first? Oh, fantastic. We'll definitely have to put that up on the Instagram too. No, yeah, that was a, that was great. That was a great picture of y'all in, in Roscoe. Roscoe was really cool. Great looking Jeep. It did not run for shit. (laughs) It was very finicky. Like just sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And the mechanics were like, we don't know what the problem is. It's just a POS. (laughs) It's just not good at all. But so there's just one of them. Yeah, just the one. I know a lot of other shows have multiples of the of vehicles. Like I think there's like a bajillion Impalas by the end of Supernatural. Interesting fact: Teen Wolf had no money. So, uh, <laughs> yep. yep. So we had the one. So that's why it doesn't really get beat up that bad. A lot of times, like we we bust up some windows and does flip it over, but that's a digital. <laughs> that's a digital uh jeep when you see that happening like you see like him lifting it up and that's actual jeep but then when it actually flips over that's uh, a digital double of the jeep yeah because we just didn't have but there wasn't another one like that was just the jeep and it's like well we can't mess it up because <laughs> styles no longer has a jeep yeah it seemed like you guys didn't have like a lot of multiples also when it came to like wardrobe and i know like a lot of other shows no. would buy like sets or like, you know, it's stuff was dirty. and Yeah. No, I think we would have like the hero costume, like the hero, whatever that, co- you know, whatever their outfit was for the episode of a scene. And then if there were scenes with stunts, then of course the stunt people got, got a, a copy of it. And then I think, so there might be like ultimately like two or three versions of one costume, but it's not like on some shows where it's like, we have 10. So it's just like, we can mess them all up to our hearts to get that. Because it's like, that's the shirt. And we have to like shoot like nine more scenes with that shirt because we're shooting them out of order. You know, like episodes of TV, like like movie, you, you don't shoot in order. So there are some times where you have, you know, Scott or somebody like, no, it depends on like how bad it is. Like sometimes like if you have like a shirt get torn in a fight, you know, it's like in the, you know, the, when they're prepping an episode, they have the wardrobe meeting and all that where they kind of break down the script by scene. And they say like, how bad is this fight? Like how messed up? are the clothes getting and then i just remember sitting on some of the scenes where like they're like uh just a slash like one slash you know and they're like they have to be very strategic about it because it's like okay we have three shirts that's all we're gonna get for this so you have to like figure out like 
how far the degradation of the clothes go in the episode because you're shooting wild. out of order yeah it's wild so you have to in advance decide how messed up a shirt is going to be so that then wardrobe can then go take that t-shirt and rip it up exactly the way the director wanted it to be ripped and you're like this is this is the shirt for scene 25 and here's the other version of it for scene four so here's the big here's the before and here's the after and then inevitably you're shooting scene 25 first and four at the end of the schedule and yeah so i mean we didn't have a lot of money to do stuff like that i'm very into teen wolf wardrobe so i did notice that a lot of the shirts for the guys was more like target brands and i mean sometimes you'd see that like every so often with um female characters as well but more often it was like free people and not high high end it's like you would not want to look at like pretty little liars wardrobe you cannot buy any of their stuff it's insane yeah and schitt's creek obviously since they're they were supposed to be rich beforehand but yeah, I noticed like the guys were more affordable, probably because they did more stunts and needed more copies. It was stuff like that, where it's like you, it's like we can get this shirt from Target, we can get five for like twenty five dollars or something. So it was like it was a budget thing, but also be like, can we go and buy a you know like a, a certain number of these in advance? Because then, because I mean, like Lydia wore really nice clothes, and it's like, well, we can't get three of those. We can get one of those, you know, and that's all you get for this episode. Still- surprisingly affordable for a tv show all right wolfies that wraps up the beta section for magic bullet and now we're about to dive into spoilers not just for this episode but for the whole teen wolf series if you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come jump out now and we'll catch you next week but if this isn't your first time in beacon hills and you want to hear more don't move a muscle here comes the alpha he's not looking so good dude why'd you healing i can't a different kind of bullet. What, silver bullet? No, you idiot. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our discussion with Laura Webb, the music supervisor of Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Laura, how did you get involved in Teen Wolf? How did this show come into your life? Um, yeah, so I had been working on some MTV, other shows for MTV, and had been, um, some music supervising several series and I had heard of that this was going to be the first scripted and I loved the original film and um I put my name in the hat and I said I'd love to be considered um and so I met uh they had already finished the well no no I'm sorry the pilot had been shot they had not chosen music so I um I can't even remember like if I fully interviewed or not. Maybe they just picked me. I don't know. I can't even remember, to be honest. Maybe other people met on it. I can't remember, honestly. But um, I came on to the pilot and I remember meeting Jeff and Russell briefly and just kind of suggested some ideas for the pilot. And then we were waiting to see if it would get picked up and it did. And then they're like, oh, right. Yeah, you would help us with the pilot. So um, I had been on from the beginning and let's see, I mean, they had, they were filming in Atlanta the whole time. So I really didn't meet every other than, you know, post team, anybody on the crew, I hadn't even, I didn't even meet until they finished filming, but we were, I was working with post-production and we were sending songs, you know, cut to picture and we were getting really positive feedback. So that was good. And so that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to, I'm trying, I wish I could remember more of that time period, but yeah. Anyway, I, I kind of went after it because I was like, oh, that sounds fun. And then when I saw from the pilot, just a couple of scenes, even, you know, starting to be pieced together, I was like, oh, wow, this is something really cool. That does seem to kind of be the consensus of people we've talked to where it's like 
everyone kind of has heard of the movie or at least through pop culture references and stuff like that. But then when you see the show, you're like, this is something else. Like it's not mm-hmm. even close to what the movie is. And, but everyone seems to, but everyone's always been like, yes, I am into all of this. So it's, yes. it's, it's so yeah. interesting that that happens that way. No, totally. So what exactly does a music supervisor do? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's overseeing all the music aspects of the show. So it is, you know, music after the fact, but it's also on camera production needs. Um, if someone, uh, it, it, when you're reading a script, right. And you see someone quoting a song lyric, you have to go clear that. Like you can't just film that. That's, that's internet intellectual property. So you have to go and clear that. Is there an on-camera band? You know, so it's, it's from start to finish, um, the music aspect, like anything and everything music, kind of anticipating needs, um, taking care of, you know, the, the permissions, you have a budget, um, getting all those songs for, that, that make them, that you can afford them, and that you have everybody's approval um, to use the songs because that can also often lead to you can't use a certain song or you know like somebody might deny a song or whatever so it's sort of you're overseeing all of that but coming up with the story to help you know tell that story with music is the big fun part of the job <laughs> but there's a lot of paperwork and um, reading contracts and the less glamorous side because everyone just thinks it's like you know you just make mixtapes it's maybe, 20 percent um and then there's a lot of politics and you know just all that and it's not your you know I mean I got really lucky on Teen Wolf where a lot of my personal taste did make it into the show but I mean many projects that's not the case because you're here to tell your writers and your producers and your directors like their story of like or the collaborative story but you're kind of help there to guide that vision that's so cool yes (laughs) That's so cool. I never would have Some thought about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I never would have thought about clearances. I just assumed because right. the writers, like when we were doing stuff, we were like, we had to send stuff to the clearance department. And I just assumed mm-hmm. they handled all of that. I didn't realize music clearances and stuff like that went through um, your department. That's okay. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, there's some studios. It depends. Like, you know, uh, thankfully on Teen Wolf, I did have someone that like papered a lot of it. Other projects, that's not the case. And you're doing all the paperwork, but you still have to make sure, oh, who all owns this song? And, you know, getting all that, you know, getting all those permissions, making sure that those people actually get back to you. Cause for whatever reason, some people don't want to be found and, you know, but you, and, and you have to get every, you know, just because you have two people, there could be seven writers. You need all seven writers on the song and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. I think that people definitely don't <laughs> take into consideration how many steps are there are to getting a song on a TV show. Yeah. And there's so many cooks in a kitchen, honestly, on with those decisions, like the network weighs in this, the studio who produces the show, um, you know, someone's teenage daughter because they think she has the best taste. I mean, it <laughs> runs the gamut, honestly. I mean, I, I was on one show and they were like, um, my spin, my spin instructor has the best taste in music. I'm like, okay, great. And I'm like, I, you know, I kind of wanted to go find out where that person pre-COVID, you know, where did they do, go take classes and let me figure out what that playlist was, you know? <laughs> so it's just like, there's so many people weighing in on the decision. So, cool. <laughs> which can be fun. And not. <laughs> yes. I guess sometimes it could feel like like endless bureaucracy where at some point it's just like, can you just say yes or no? Like, can we just 
have an answer so we can do our job. <laughs> I mean, you know, with TV, you do have to get the episodes out the door. So you do get to a point where, I mean, same with film, but TV's quicker than film uh, with my experience or generally, you know? So yeah, it's like you get, I mean, I feel like everyone frets and frets until like the last second. And then you're like, all right, just pick one. <laughs> So how do you identify when to use a song in an episode and when to use score? And then I guess the the, the bigger question around that is like, what was it like uh, working with Dino Menigan on the soundtrack and what is that collaborative process like? Yeah, I mean, um, music supervisors tend to come on earlier. Um, so, you know, I'm reading the script early on before it's shot because I need to see, oh, are they speaking any lyrics? Is there an on-camera band? So we're we're really one of the professions that's on from like pre-production, production, post-production, where composers generally, it depends, really come on at, at post-production, right? But um, so, yeah, I'll read the script and break down where I anticipate, I think, songs would go. Some some projects when it's written some people write songs in mind so you'll go try to clear that even before it films if that's something very specific or if you know there's a band performing obviously you would go and get all that sorted and so you'll just kind of guess and then once you've read it you'll wait for the editor to assemble the show and we'll work with like we had wonderful editors who were really great with music on this show so I usually would send ideas before as they were starting to put the episode together and assemble it and and, um, but sometimes they were like, hey, you know what, this spot could have a song or maybe I read it and I pictured something in my mind. But then you look at the way that it was filmed, they're like, no, no, that's too quick. I don't even know how we could get into a song in 20 seconds, you know. So it all kind of like a little bit along the way. And then once your director, the director has a cut, you know, they might have some something in mind when they shot it. Like, oh, this is what I was picturing. Um, and then Jeff would come in after and he would have his opinions or be like, nope, swap that out. I was, I would like something like this. And then um, the editors would put in temp score for the show. And generally that's what happens um, with a vibe. And then um, Dino would go in and kind of after the fact, but most of like songs, you know, like we say score songs, my songs would already be in. And then Dino would uh, come up with ideas after the, after all that after the episode was in a really good, because they really need to have a locked cut because they're creating music. So, you know, too many changes and all that could happen. So then that's when they're, when he would come up with his score kind of on a locked cut. And sometimes I would be still changing songs, but most of the time we'd have it in pretty good shape. Cause I mean, but you know, we also had a rhythm the longer we went with the show. So you touched on it just a little bit there, but, um, We've talked to different people um, from the show and the consensus seems to be that Jeff was involved in pretty much every aspect of it. Uh, what role did he play when it came to music? Yeah, I mean, he really, I mean, it was, it, he really let me really fly and really use, you know, a lot of songs and and really le le leaned on my expertise, which was really great and always wonderful when you get to have a voice because there are projects where you don't and that's okay too, but it's always really fun, you know? And we really aligned on our tastes too. So, you know, each season I would also make them a mix and be like, here's some stuff I like. And, you know, he would kind of tell me and the longer it went, I also could guess what he would like and not. I mean, sometimes he just had something in his mind, like, actually, I want to score that scene, but I like that song, you know? Um, and sometimes we'd come back to songs. He'd be like, eh, let's go with your song, you know? 
he just needed to see both. But um, Jeff was great. I mean, he's he is a dream to work with. And he was really encouraging. Like, and so, you know, I get these wonderful emails from him on a, like, a particularly hard day, just, you know, and he'd be like, oh, thank you so much. This all sounds so good. You know, and so that was all really nice. And he, yeah, he was really great and very collaborative. So. Yeah. <laughs> what was the process like for finding a song for a particular scene on Teen Wolf? So if you, you know, you've, you've gotten the script and you've broken it down and you talk to Jeff and Jeff's like, I, I want something, I want a song for this scene. I think we need a song and that score by Dino. What's, what's the process then to find a song? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the first episode and generally you try to set the sonic palette um, the first season and sort of like, okay, what, what would each character be listening to? What's the style, you know? So we kind of built on that and, you know, in the pilot, they had tempt with some songs that were like electronica. And I was like, Oh, great. Cause I, I grew up in Europe. I love electronica and it wasn't something that a lot of people were doing. So that was really great. So I thought, Oh, here's a place to do something new and fresh and exciting. So really from the pilot is where we set the template. Right. Um, and then there's just different themes. It depends. Like for fight music, we use a lot of like really kick-ass electronica or lacrosse scenes, you know? And then for the love songs, for like a Scott and Allison, we kind of touched on a, a you know, kind of acoustic love sound, like love or love songs and kind of quirky for Styles and Scott, you know, kind of leaning into all that. So then when you would read that, you kind of knew where to grab, you know, I'd made playlists and kind of okay, let's, let's look for something in that, you know, like a, like a styles song, like I had a styles bin or like a stidia moment or, you know, like, so that's, I would kind of pull there, but sometimes I was just, honestly, I really liked the song and I wanted to find a place for it. <laughs> and that awesome. did happen, you know? So it, it kind of was a little bit of everything. Yeah. Do you still have any of those like oh, bands yeah. that you? Oh yeah. I still pull from them. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I'm working on um, Kung Fu, which is this oh. new, the new, yeah. And it's, they use, um, I came onto the back half of the season and they use a lot of electronica for fight scenes. And I was like, oh, it's my sweet spot. I love that, you know, <laughs> so I hadn't done it in a while. And I actually went back and looked at my lacrosse, my lacrosse, like my, I called it my like lacrosse fight, like fight bin. And like still a lot of them hold up. I went and got some fresher ideas too, but I have leaned into some of my old ones that I never got to use. So, oh yeah, I still keep them. Cause like, I don't know, there's just things that, that sound and you're like, oh no, I need to do that again kind of thing. Or I'm looking for songs that I feel like fit that, you know whatever sound definitely have to watch that show and listen for that then that's great yeah. yeah yeah i i i'm working on the back half of the season so you'll you'll uh yeah hopefully yeah it's fun we're i mean on that you know it's different because we're intentionally using mandarin a song you know but songs by chinese artists in english or mandarin or artists that have chinese heritage so but we are still pulling on electronica and thankfully there's some really cool like electronica coming out of um, China. It's really cool. And there's like this and, and, and some really interesting beats with like traditional Chinese instruments and stuff like that. Some really interesting stuff. So it's, it's different obviously than what we did, but I did look at like, Oh, what did we use for Kira? Even though that was Japanese, but like she was a warrior, you know, right. kind of thing. So I was like, let me, what did I use for that? Oh, right. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to dip back in a little bit. So. 
That's so cool. Um, so do you have any memories of working in on uh, season one in particular that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I know we had, I was like, I looked at those questions. I, um, we, I can't even remember what was the original song, but um, when Scott and Allison are at the vet clinic, you know, you know, for a pilot, when you're making a pilot presentation, a lot of times people put songs in and just like, don't worry about price. Some studios don't make you even <laughs> clear because it's just like an internal, you know, project, right? And it's just to sell at the show. So there were quite a few really expensive. I think, yeah, we even had like ACDC, which we would never be able to <laughs> afford for on, on this budget, you know, so in other spots. But um, so there's this really, <laughs> really good lo uh, love song. And I remember we did try a lot of things there. And I, I worked with Alyssa Clark, who I think you guys talked to, mm -hmm. right? She's, yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we worked and, and I would, you know, we, I went to the edit bay and we just tried a lot of things just because we're like, all right, let's just, let's just keep trying. And um, what ended up there was James Vincent McMorrow, which, you know, became that was the start of their relationship. It was funny because I met him, you know, years later or whatever. And he was just like, which is funny, it, like um, at a show and we were talking and I said, thank you for letting us use your music. You know, he's like, I know, I don't know what a steric and a stidia, but like my YouTube, my YouTube page. <laughs> and that, every time I'd meet um, artists, they'd be like, your fans are insane, but in a good way, of course, you know, right. but they're just be like, all I get are these oh, plot wow. points and people fighting. And it's like, I, I just write music. I don't know what this is, but it was really funny. So, um, I know it just made me laugh because I'm like, oh yeah, right. But, um, so that was, I, I'm really like that, that we found that. And that one's, I remember was quite a bit of, um, effort. So that was the pilot because we had to redo all the music for the pilot. And then I'm trying to think other things from season one. Yeah, it was just kind of fun. I think we we really took off with the electronic idea and then everyone really liked that. So that was really fun because that's music I've personally loved for years. And, you know, it was nice to see people respond to that. I really liked the Mickey Echo song when Derek's chained in the basement and Kate, you know, yes. like that was a really fun use. And I was, I was really excited and I, um, knew Mickey and was a big fan of Mickey's music so it was really great to see the fan response to that because he's an awesome person too and that's the really fun part of the job is getting to high you know highlight artists you believe in and then hopefully giving them a bigger audience is really the the rewarding part so you used Kids Later by mm -hmm. Mickey right yeah I love that scene so much no fantastic thank you. song yeah and and he sent that um to me early on and I was like, oh, where do I? like that, oh. and that I came and played it for Jeff and I was like where do we use this you know and then I was like oh I got it so that it's was so um, perfect yeah That's thank so you cool. it was yeah I really it was it's been a you know really rewarding and fun show to work on and um I just yeah it was really nice to see like a lot of the things that you personally like um, end up in, and, you know, cause I, I really liked the show and I liked, you know, the whole experience of, was, was a good one. <laughs> it was indeed. Um, yeah. this, this isn't a question. I just wanted you to know that my two favorite songs from the entirety of Teen Wolf are Ava mm -hmm. by Fami and At Home by Crystal Fighters. 
I love these songs. Just I listen oh, to well, them daily. And uh, I real I remember very distinctly because uh, the first two seasons, I was just a PA on the reshoots because I was living in Los Angeles. So I wasn't working in uh, Atlanta for the main show. But I remember watching the final episode and hearing um, At Home by the Crystal Fighters for that very last scene with Scott and Styles uh, practicing lacrosse together. And I emailed Jeff immediately and was <laughs> like, uh, and I actually tried to find the email, but my whole Apple email got corrupted years and years ago but I remember emailing Jeff immediately and be like this song is so good this was the perfect way to end this season and he was like awesome that was totally Laura Webb working on all of that and um, so I, I love that and I just love the energy because that season it's I mean every season is a rough season of Teen Wolf you know but it, yeah. I just love the the hopeful feeling that that season kind of goes out on and that song definitely helps and my, so that's my, at home is my second favorite. My first favorite is uh, Ava by Fammy. And I love, love that scene where they're all writing their initials on the I cried. school. I, 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 cried. I was yeah. so close to tears watching it. And that song is perfect. Like just, oh, just you. perfect for that scene. And so good. I just wanted to gush for a second. Oh, thank I, you. Like I said, those are my favorite songs for the entirety of the show. Just oh, so, so sure. good. I like both of those a lot too. Like the Ava by Fanny. Like, I don't even think they've made anything more. I should actually check, but I found that one like on it. Um, that one wasn't even like pitched to me because people do pitch music, but I found that on a, I was on a wormhole on YouTube. And I'm like a big Anglophile where Jeff and everybody used to tease me or like Scandinavian <laughs> music. They're like, why don't you use American artists? I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, but um, that one was like, I'd found one British artist and then this, and I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And sometimes you work on projects and because there was like Ava and it was very specific, like sometimes you songs don't get used because of those like really specific lyrics. But um you know, we were pretty open to that on the show of just like, if it works and it's a great song, like let's use it. And so like that, I was kind of nervous, but I just wanted to find a good spot. And I kind of, um, I think Ed edited, edited, Ed Abrams edited the Ava family episode. And I was just like, just let's, and I, I think I was even like, okay, try it here and here. And um, so I was really, sometimes, you know, I, I take that shot and people are like, I don't get it what you're trying to do. And, and that's okay. You know, Yeah. but I'm glad that one, they did see it. And then, yeah, the crystal fighters, it just felt like the end, like also like an end, I call them like end title songs, which it, you know, it is, yeah, but like, yeah. it would, it would be that feeling like when you're watching a movie and you're like, walk out of the theater and you're happy. And that's what I thought about when I heard that song. Um, and they sent me, I remember they sent me a very sweet note after the show aired. And I was like, I mean, I don't expect it, you know, and I'm just happy to do it. Cause I just really believe in the songs, but it was, it was really sweet to like get that note. I was like, Oh, and so it was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I I'm very happy that you have like, you like pulling from like, uh, you know, like, like you said, an Anglophile, but like Scandinavian stuff. Cause I love running with the wolves. Um, that's such a good song. And I love the the scene was that Lydian Parish, I think fighting in, in oh, the woods, yeah. I think is that scene. And uh-huh. uh, I love yeah. that artist whose name is escaping me at the moment. Aurora. Aurora. Yes. Which I just saw, like when I was watching the Oscars, one of the nominated uh, animated, but I think one of the animated shorts, they used that song and I was like, uh, what? Yeah. Oh, so, I know what short and, you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, um, I'm blanking. It also has wolves in the title. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, which I'm like, okay, that's applicable. Yeah. But, um, you know, and like maybe that we, because I remember like we opened season two with uh, Prodigy, who I loved, like Run, uh, Run with the, I think it's called Run with the Wolves too, or something wolf. You know, and it, okay, so maybe that's a little on the nose. Like some people don't like to be, but I'm like, whatever, we're a supernatural show. <laughs> we're really, you know, we suspend disbelief. And also like, they're just good songs. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but who doesn't like Prodigy taking us back to the Right, oh, I know. God. Yeah, and this was a newer song, but anyway, yeah, so it was fun. We actually asked uh, fans on Instagram what their favorite song was for all of Teen Wolf, Wolf and Ava was by far the most popular. Oh, really? Answer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we were, we were wondering if like you knew that it would be like a fan favorite whenever you put it in there, and you were like, this is definitely going to be popular. I mean, I always hope because like it, my thing's like, I'm, I was really moved by that song, so you hope that other people can tap into that. And that's always kind of like you hope they do, you know, um, but that's great to hear. Yeah, I know. I I mean, I've heard from people, you know, like you get some people like the um, Boyd Styles when he's walking down the hallway um, it, when he's the no gets in a. Yeah. Um, and that one, the cover of um, Bad Moon Rising. Oh, I love that yes. one. Yeah, that oh, one. Yeah. That's what I would expect because mm -hmm. I, I just know I hear that from people a lot but that's cool about Ava Fame. I mean I like but I love both and like the Bad Moon Rising that one was I just was like this is such a weird song and Gabe Fleming was editor on that episode and he liked to take we like you know we like to do some wild card ideas sometimes. Do you have any memories of a scene that just was really hard to find the right song for that y'all just kind of struggled with? I mean, I think like we did like how I said that one for the pilot, um, some of those songs, because you, we call it temp love, especially because like people got really attached to those songs. So they're really only trying to hear like it needs to fit that song specifically. Right. And you're like, well, you can't find, I mean, you, you, you know, you don't want to find anything that sounds too specific like that because that's copyright infringement. Yes. Um, and, or making something, you know, you don't want to do that. But um, so that one, I'm, you know, season ones of shows are, can be hard just because you're really trying to find what the sound of the show is. So I think there were several and, you know, they, everybody was in Atlanta filming and we were back in LA. We didn't, you know, like we didn't, we hadn't met, I'd met Jeff and Russell like briefly, but I didn't like, I don't even know if they'd remember from the pilot. Cause we just like, I kind of came in and I was like with someone from MTV. So I don't, you know, so I didn't totally have a good, like, Oh, to know what was their, you know, what their personal taste is and knowing stuff to like, so I was, it was just sort of really spaghetti, like throwing spaghetti against the wall. <laughs> like, let's just try some stuff. Right. Because, um, we were operating in a vacuum kind of, and we would get feedback like, yeah, I like that, but I'm, you know, filming nights and that kind of thing. So, um, so we just kept trying and trying and we would just present a couple ideas and be like, do you like any of these? So I just remember the Scott and Allison was, cause it was, you know, it's the start of their relationship and you want it to be awesome. That one was hard. I think probably re replacing ACDC was really hard. And that's <laughs> how, you know, we came up with using um, like dubstep and, you know, more aggressive electronica because you're like, well, what do you do that? How can you, you know, something that's just like super badass. And yeah, those are kind of the ones that were like the hardest that I remember. And then it's, I don't know, then we kind of like, I kind of knew the world. So, I mean, I'm sure there were, 
I just don't remember cool. after that. <laughs> you, when you mentioned replacing, uh, another a question popped in my head, like when shows go into syndication or they go to streaming or something like that, you can't always use the same songs. Are you involved in finding new songs or is that mm-hmm. like you're done by that point? Yeah, or? I mean, it's, yes, I, I was. I did find, we call it rescoring. Okay. Um, you know, uh, when that is like, you know, this show, it had for MTV, its budget was okay, but it's not like, wasn't a big budget by any means. So to clear those songs, it's called like all media worldwide perpetuity, right? To get all those rights, songs are more expensive. So like if we wanted to use, so a way that you, we did not have to clear the show for worldwide all media perpetuity. We only had to do like, I think it was for like TV and online rights or something. So, um, and that is a way that you can get songs for a little bit cheaper if you lessen the rights. And there were quite, I mean, many shows like this famous is that like Felicity or in like Wonder Years and Friday Night Lights and all these great shows because people would only do like, we didn't know that they would live on the way that they are. And people are also now revisiting all of them. So a lot of shows were just doing like a five year, right? I mean, it depends. It depends on the studio. It depends. But like, you know, you'd get like a five-year license or a whatever, right? So you would, some people in some um, studios will like farm that out to like a library and just, okay, go and replace this, right? But I did do all the rescore as well for this show. And, but it was only the first two seasons. And I, I mean, I hear about it from people still to this day, but it, you know, that it that was, you know, we're hired to do something and that's how those are the rights that we had to do. And, you know, I do know Jeff never really liked the rescore options, which I'm like, yeah, because these of are not, course, you know, right. I mean, yeah, I'm like, right. But I was also like, I know, but it is what it is. And this is what we can use to, you know, replace it. You know, uh, some, I think, aren't they going to release Wonder Years? And they went ahead and just like licensed all the music. I think I heard that. I think oh, it's I'm happening. Sure. Yeah, because that was why people are like, why is the Wonder Years not out? Because it was, they used all amazing music, you know, from the, what was it, 60s, 70s? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. So, and that, all that is just, it costs a lot. So that's really, it's a, it's a cost decision really. And that's really why, but um, I can't help it. <laughs> right. It's out of your <laughs> I hands. I did the best I could. Yeah. yeah it's that or the scene open. has no music. You know, it's like, which right. do you want and to that see? That would be really weird. Yeah. So, yeah, no. And like, obviously, a lot of thought and care were put into the original ones. And, you know, I tried to find the best that I could to replace them, but obviously, they're not going to be the same, you know? So, <laughs> see, you but, said some, yeah. some shows just like, farm it out like what wh- what does that mean exactly? so they'll hire like a library and just say like somebody at the library will just like put all their own music from like a you know a, a, like a production oh. music library right okay um and so some shows do that I mean or did mostly now everybody does all media because we know that it now lives on you know it's going to go to a Netflix it's going to go to a Hulu so you do try to clear for all rights you know up front um but there were people that would just like, okay, let me just go and replace all these and, you know, find from like a canned library. Not that, you know, libraries aren't bad or anything like that. It's just not, you can tell the difference between that and like, you know, an artist driven song. That's all. Yeah. Are there any songs you remember using for the broadcast version of Teen Wolf that you really hated replacing? 
Like that you really I mean, had a hard I'm time sure letting go all of them. them. To be honest, I'm sure probably all of them. I'm probably like, Oof. yeah, because it was the first two seasons, and then and then I was like, oh, let's just. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, I would have liked to keep all of them, okay. but we just didn't have the budget didn't support. But um, I know we could always clear like one song and episode. So I would pick one that I'd be like, well, uh, good. I got to keep that one. You know, so I'd pick the one that was like the most important to me. And I could maybe cover my budget, okay. hopefully, like to clear it for all media. So you're like prioritize kind of like yeah. this one really yeah. needs to so- stay. So those, so I would, you know, whichever ones I felt like, like, you know, if it was like Mickey Echo's song, like there's no way I'm going to replace that kind of thing. So I, maybe I, I, you know, I'm sure I didn't love that I had to, but it's part of the job. So yeah, I don't, I don't feel too bad. I mean, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't gone back and rewatched the first two seasons, but I can live with it. I'm still sleeping at night. You know? <laughs> so it's only, there is really only uh rescoring for the first two seasons. That was it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Because then I was like, eh, I just feel very, you know, particular about them. So I just begged and pleaded to other people, like, can we please keep it for every, because I think I did hear it from people, you know, and very passionate fans that were very upset. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember sure. this was uh, weeks or maybe months ago at this point, because we were talking, uh, Kate Kellis and I were talking about something and, and um, Rescore came up and we were talking about how songs change and all that. And I just remember having a horrible sinking feeling in my stomach because I hadn't gotten through season all of, I was just finishing season one. I hadn't started season two yet. And I was like, what if, what if my favorite songs aren't there? And so I, I jumped ahead to the last scene of season two and checked and it was there. And then I found the scene with uh, yeah, the library sure scene. I, I was like, thank God. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then you yeah, felt safe. Yeah. I was safe. Yeah, I was I'm sure <laughs> I would have like, yeah. I mean, I'd pick some, like the, I got to like probably keep like one or two an episode for all media, you know, but I just couldn't for all the songs. Right. So, um, but then we didn't, ha- we did, we, I just ne- asked, like negotiated to just clear the rest, all media for um, the rest of the seasons. So that's so cool. Thank God. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I know. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm sure the pilot was tough just because we spent so much time picking those, you know, but <laughs> I was wondering though, if you're ever like listening to music and you're like, Oh man, if like that's been released since Teen Wolf came out, if you're ever listening to something wishing that had come out earlier so you could have used on Teen Wolf or feel like it would have been perfect for the show. Yeah, there's there's some that I'm still like, but I'm like, oh, I'll just go use it in a different, pro-. you know, hopefully. I mean, <laughs> I don't have the same, but, um, or I keep it in my back pocket for like, I'll use it someday, you know, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it was great because like right after Teen Wolf, I worked on Siren, which was like supernatural. And like, it was a little different. I mean, we did a different, we didn't use as much electronica, but we did use some like, ambient kind of ethereal because like the water element and and mermaids are like a musical creature so I got to like kind of use some of those probably on that project but um there's still a couple I'm saving because I'm like oh maybe I know I can use them in kung fu or something (laughs) so many fans want Teen Wolf reboot or spinoff maybe you could use it on that we so many comments about season seven we can't even and so many different languages too that's (laughs) funny I know I'm down if everybody wants to. <laughs> yes, please. So were there any songs that you really wanted to get but weren't able to? Um, I mean, I'm sure there were plenty because, you know, the budget was comparatively so small, but were there any that really stuck out to you where you were like, oh, I just really wanted that song? Yeah, you know, it's like season one, 
we had, you know, it was, we were on MTV, which had, didn't do scripted. Like we were the first scripted show. And so, but I run into this on other projects too, but um, because there was nothing for anyone to compare to, because like when you go to request, you request the song and to get the artist's permission and everybody who wrote on it and the label and everybody. So all those people need to sign off. So there were a couple denials actually, but I'm usually pretty good at turning those around because I'm coming from it as like, I'm a passionate fan about your music, which I will explain. And also like, here's the show. And, you know, I, I had obviously am seeing the show and knowing it's special. And, you know, so um, sometimes you just need to convince them or just give them a little bit more information. So I turned around quite a few denials which, which is great. And sometimes they want to see the scene and that depends. Cause like, it depends how proprietary or if we can even, but you have to get permissions. And obviously I'm not like going and, you know, I have to get all the, the, the powers that be ahead, but you know, there's some scenes that are just so special. So you're like, you know, and then they see it and they're like, Oh, great. Or they just want to make sure that you're not like making fun, like using the song in a derogatory manner. Right. Or, you know, there's things that you don't know like what it's personal to them because they wrote the song about something different and then, you know, all that. So, and and they have, they totally have the right to say no. And, and that's why we go and get the permission. Right. So there was a couple that I did turn around, which I was glad about. There was one band who's not even a band who wasn't even, they weren't even that big to begin with, but they did deny and were like, you know, and then I don't even, I was like, I actually forgot their name. I was trying when I, I was like, I don't even remember what their name is anymore, but they're not 30 seconds to Mars. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> so, yeah, but they denied, but I was also like, yeah, whatever. We'll go find another song. Like, you know, cause I was like, all right, whatever. But yeah, so that, you know, people just didn't know what to expect of a show on MTV because it had been like, you know, videos, but then it had been like, you know, all these reality shows too. And, you know, so we had that, that we ran into, but, you know, it's also like, all right, well, there's so many songs out there that could work too. So I'm happy to say there was nothing that, you know, like actually the, like the Scott and Allison song we did get that denial because that artist never approved, like barely ever approves anyway, that was originally in, that was tempt in. So, but like everybody loves what's in there now. And like, you guys didn't know that until I just told you, you know, like 10 years later. Right. So that's okay. Like, I also think that that can lead to some of the, like an even better idea. You know what I mean? So yeah, we got pretty lucky. And then once the show aired and that we really had a good track record for breaking bands and people getting, you know, the great thing about, even though I think Teen Wolf actually could be for all ages, you know, even though it is set in high school, but I do think there's like some themes and I I, I think that everybody could actually enjoy it. But um, I will say about the young adult fair is that it's the most receptive music audiences and also but like in terms of like within my job they're very receptive to music and that's really fun and feels very rewarding since you know that's your job and and people are responding to that and you know and and the artists would tell us like after they got placed how their sales and their social media you know like all those would explode and so I know that that's pretty like I I um I know sometimes critics overlook some of the youth fair, but I think it's like some of the best fans, or I do think they're the best fans. So, so how did working on a show with no budget like uh, Teen Wolf compare when it comes to making choices as opposed to something like I saw you had some big projects with Netflix? So since Netflix, well, I would think has all the money in the world. Big Netflix right now, money, um, right? 
well, actually, you know, those films that you're mentioning, um, those are where an acquisition. So actually our budgets were not huge either. So um, we had to stretch it on that one too. But, um, and, and this show did have a budget. It's just not, it wasn't huge. It was fine. You know, like we obviously, but um, it wasn't like some of the bigger networks. Um, it wasn't, you know, but, but the thing is, is I actually work on a lot of things with like minimum or moderate on the lower moderate side, you know, but um, I actually, it's makes you more creative because it's like, yeah, we can't afford Taylor Swift or like a Katy Perry. So, which I think is there are so many other talented artists and everyone's going to Katy Perry and, you know, Taylor Swift and mm-hmm. Imagine Dragons. Like that's, you turn on any show and those songs, you know, like everyone's going to those. So it actually forces you to be more creative. And I don't actually look at it as too much of a detriment, to be honest, because I got to break all these really great bands so you saw, so this is my thing, like you saw that in something else and you're, and it took you out of the scene and it, you're like, wait, but I've seen that in this thing where that's why I like finding um, songs that people haven't heard because you're bringing and we're creating new moments mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that doesn't, and that's the thing. Cause you're like, oh, you know, or it was like, that was the song when my, my boyfriend and I broke up or, you know, like those kind of things were, if um, you're trying to find, you know, newer up and coming artists, like we're creating those moments. And now forever you think, oh, that's the Scott and Allison song. That's the, you know, so I like doing that. And, um, you know, yeah, sometimes it'd be nice to like, you know, have some more money to offer. But, um, I, I think if you're up front and just be like, this is the budget I have, this is what I can offer, you know, like they can say no, but, um, yeah. there's a lot of people that will say yes. So, <laughs> Especially as the show kept going and like people were like, oh, music's used really well here, you know, so. Very cool. So I was wondering that um, with a network like MTV that was originally, you know, known for music, were they ever trying to um, encourage you to use any particular song? How involved were they? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, they really let me do what I did. And yeah, I mean, more to the point, like what we, it was a little bit harder in some ways, because people knew it as like a music video channel, right? Even though it hasn't played videos in like 25 years or something. I don't know. Right? Like, I, you know, but people still say that you're like, that has not been and but, you know, we were a scripted show. It was sort of like, what? what's happening on this channel people are like what where do I watch Teen Wolf you know so that to the point but um no they were encouraging and let me do and you and you know they didn't have a like you have to use this priority or this because they really like let us tell the story we wanted to so that was I mean I'm sure they they're you know they were they would be like we're excited about this band if you can find something great you know kind of thing but it was never you have to you know no mandates yeah was there any advantage yeah. to doing something on MTV as opposed to uh, something on like freeform? No, I mean, music I don't, yeah. no, I, I mean, no, I, I don't, I mean, I just was, I do my job wherever it is. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like, I don't know. You're still, you know, you're still trying to figure out and tell the best story with music, with your production team, you know, like, so that's wherever you are, whatever network it's on kind of thing. So we've talked a little bit about the uses of music that we really liked. We've talked about the uses of music that fans really liked. Do you have a favorite use of music from Teen Wolf? 
I mean, there's a lot that I do like. I guess the one that just feels like really rewarding and it was sort of like, uh, I remember where I was when I, actually there too, when I, I remember where I was and I just was like, I love the song. I want to find a place for it was the Bad Moon Rising. So I was just like, what is this? This guy's voice is insane, but I really like it and it's weird and, you know, and then I went and I was like, let's find a place in the episode. How can we do that? You know, kind of like having that input was really fun. So I just liked that one. And I recently did a, um, I spoke at a, a university and we I had a couple clips and I had, I found that one and I rewatched it and I was like, oh, yeah, that was really fun and totally, you know, it's different. And it was, you know, I know everyone does the covers, but the thing is, is with like that cover and that was, a lot, you know, obviously it was several years ago, but. I think, you know, people are, some people are really tired of that trend about the covers, but I think if you're going to make a song and it's just so different from what the original is, I still think that's super cool and should always be cool, you know? And then I really like, oh, it's in the same episode as the Bad Moon Rising, but it's the song called Whitaker, My Own. It's like a really sad song and it's when um, Aiden dies. And I just remember I was on a walk and I, that song came up on my iPod date, you know, a couple years ago, obviously, <laughs> but I was like, oh, it's a really beautiful song. And that was just one of my like needle in the haystack, like just found it by somebody sent it, but it wasn't even just like, I think they just were like, here's everything that we're currently pitching, pitching, but it wasn't like this one's perfect for team, you know, nothing like that. I just was like, this is just a really beautiful song and just finding a place for that. Cause that one, yeah, it was just a really beautiful song. So I don't know. Those were great, but I, yeah, I like a lot. I mean, I really liked, I really like, there were some more, some moments that you're always like, oh, so I always loved finding Stalinsky and style songs. Like I just liked, I really liked their relationship a lot, you know, like that was, they were, and they're great there. They did great to get, they had really great chemistry together. That song was really special. And I always like finding Stidia songs. So is that your ship then? <laughs> Definitely have some listeners who'll be excited to hear yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I mean, I liked, uh, you know, I liked all the characters, but yeah, I probably was a Stidia fan for sure. I liked finding the Stidia songs for sure. Wonderful. But you know, there's all some there's some all good ones, you know, Skelson and <laughs> yeah, I just still laugh. That was what it was. That James Vincent Miller is like, what's a scallison? Because <laughs> he's like, is that a disease? Like, I'm like, oh. I feel like a lot of ship names do sound like diseases. Right? Like, that's a real, yeah. a like, Stidia, like sca- Coridia. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. those those sound like sexually transmitted right. illnesses. Yeah. 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 And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was what it was. I remember now. <laughs> Are there any scenes looking back now you wish you had used a different song for it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure I had in the moment, but I like, you know, I feel very like proud of what we all put out. And, um, you know, I can't always say that, but, um, or there's sometimes you're just like, but no, I, I think for the most part on that show, I really do. I feel like I stand by all the things that we put out and, um, and so that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, maybe they're, yeah. I, I walk away from it mostly good. So yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm like, maybe, but you know, I'll have to like go through and look again, but you know. <laughs> well, I know like, you know, a lot of times actors will say, oh, I wish I'd done something different that scene. Yeah. Writers would want to change something. So I didn't know like from a music supervising point of view, if you have the same sort of oh, if I had known about this one song, I wish I would have used this there instead. I'm sure there were, you know, but I think I still was like, yeah, I can, you know, I'm sure at the time. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I 
<laughs> what kind of music do you think the characters of Teen Wolf would listen to in their own lives? And you can pick whichever character or characters that you want to answer about. Okay, let's see. Yeah, so I think like, which is, the, I think the very first cue we have that we open on in the pilot is um, the young, the giant, my body. Like that feels very Scott McCall, you know, like that song I would believe would be in his, um, you know, he'd be listening to um, that kind of like rock. But um, so I feel like that, you know, that's that, that sound very encapsulates Scott. I think, you know, styles would be more quirky, like rock, but like more probably acoustic or indie rock. Like he just is a quirky guy. Right. I mean, I think, I think Derek probably liked, you know, more, more harder edge stuff, um, but not that much, but like, you know, cause he obviously had a soft side, but he probably liked harder rock. I think at, with like, uh, with Lydia, I think, you know, like early she was more into pop and I think she matured like her sound changed and got more mature. And yeah, I, I'd feel like Allison's probably kind of angsty, you know. <laughs> Is there anybody else of the What about Let's Malia? See. After spending years as a coyote, what would she I listen know, to? I know, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, I know, right? We never like put it, like, I don't, we never got to like have her alone in her like bedroom, right? Like she was listening to like rhythmic animal chanting or something, you know? <laughs> or like like whales or something. I don't know, right? Yeah. Maybe she was listening to Animal Collective. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Okay. But yeah, I could even just hear her listening to like sounds of the forest, you know, like oh, on yeah. her call yeah. on her yeah. call map or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, just those ten-hour like loops of cowing. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that would be okay. There we go. I'm sorry, we never got to do. I am very sad we never got to do that because that would be super fun. <laughs> yeah, Malia, you like this? It's a song that just has coyotes howling in the background. You like that? And some like tribal drums or yes. something. Like, yeah. 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 I know. Yeah, we never got to explore that. Dang it! <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We never really saw like Sheriff listen on his own. Like, I mean, he would like the retro stuff, like for sure. And Melissa, CCR. I feel like, we'd, yeah, I feel like, or um, uh, uh, Melissa was, um, what would Melissa, or that's, um, what would she like? I think like 80s stuff, right? Yay. Yeah. I don't know. She's like a child of, I mean, or I feel like she'd be like the 80s. I don't know. Yeah. Wang Chung. Journey. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what about, uh, what about Kira? Oh, Kira. Oh, I think Kira would like, and like, if she was, I think she'd been to K-pop and like, I I could see that, you know, BTS all the way or (laughs) J-pop. And yeah, I feel like, I think that would be her vibe, but I think, you know, she also was pretty fierce and she'd like her like power, power ballads and stuff too. Probably. She probably likes some Taylor Swift. I can see that. Who doesn't? So <laughs> yeah. uh, Dylan O'Brien just did an interview recently where he was talking about how much he loves like K-pop and t- Taylor Swift and Harry Styles. <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> They're all fun. I mean, yeah. they all, you know, it's like first. Yeah. Like I, I can, I can appreciate all of that. <laughs> That's funny. Cause I, yeah, you don't um, Dylan as Dylan. I'm like, huh, interesting. <laughs> I'm like not what I would expect, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite episode of Teen Wolf? I have a couple. I mean, I, you know, I really like 
I like Motel California. I thought that was a really fun episode. It was yeah, just yeah. like so different, you know? I like, I mean, I like the pilot. Yeah, or like moments. I, I do like the season three ender. I don't I can't remember the name of it, but with like Void Styles. I like season three was really good. Like oh, yeah. that whole season yes. was just really, really good. Yeah, and then I have like a lot of favorite moments, like a lot of highlight moments. And um, yeah, I mean, I think those are some of my favorites. Are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Um, yes, yeah, so well, Kung Fu is airing now. I'm working with my oftentimes collaborator, Lindsay Wolvington. We're doing the final season of Atypical. Okay. Netflix's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so a great show. We, yeah, we got, we were brought on to do the final season and I just watched the director's cut of the series finale and it's really Aww. good yeah so that one's just a really beautiful heartwarming show and it's been really nice to work on a you know like as we're on this like been locked down and just sort of being intentional where you spend your time and like it's been a lovely show to be a part of um and then we are doing two and then we we, we while we've been in lockdown you know we we finished in February the um the last to all the boys so that was a nice journey and that was beautiful um a great experience and then um the our producers at Ace who produced the two all the boys movies um we we did two films with them that we filmed during the pandemic one filmed in Vancouver and it's called Hello Goodbye and Everything in Between I don't know when it's coming out we're working on it as we speak and we don't know where it will be, but hopefully somewhere awesome. Nice. Uh, it, star- it stars Jordan Fisher, who was in the second to all the boys. Um, and that's a really great YA rom-com. And then um, we filmed a film in London during, right right as the COVID UK variant was really popping off. So oh. um, that was uh, very, the crew was very um, brave and, and very resilient because yeah, it, there's a lot of, a lot of balls rolling in the air, you know, bouncing in the air on that one. But it's a really great film called The Statistic. I only work, we only work on projects with long titles, but it's called The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight. And it um, is really beautiful YA rom-com set in London. Nice. And it stars Haley Lou Richardson okay. and Ben Hardy Jones. Um, nice. and Rob Delaney and Jamila Jamil. Like it's a really great, there's a really great, uh, cast surrounding. Um, and same thing, like we're working on that and we'll see where it ends up. We have no, you know, so, um, but I'm sure somewhere great. And, uh, those are really fun. And, um, yeah. So and fingers crossed for a season two of Kung Fu, hopefully. So I hope yeah. so. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That one's a really fun show to be a part of. And yeah, so it's a lot of very varied um, projects, but really fun. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We, yes. I, 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 we have greatly appreciated this, <laughs> or we greatly yes. appreciate this. This has been absolutely wonderful and a great peek behind the curtain on this job that we all see in the credits at the end of an episode, but they're like, what exactly very, very does that end. mean? <laughs> Last but not least, and definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. I, yeah. You definitely helped, I think, shape a lot of the show. That the show just wouldn't be as loved without these, for us, iconic songs. And, oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, thank yeah, you so been, much for joining been, us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun to think back on that time. Like, you know, taking it back. 
10 years. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel that long, honestly, but um, not at all. It was really, it was really nice to walk down memory lane. So thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you're very welcome. Definitely thank you for joining yes. us. Yes. It's been great talking to you. We'll have a wonderful Likewise. evening and we should be talking to you soon. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. That was awesome. Yeah. That was a great was interview. Really, really nice. So good. Kate, what's it like sharing your name with a psychopath? <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucks because it would have been kind of cool to have the same name as a character who's awesome and not a rapist, but I do find her objectively fascinating. So there's that. Absolutely. She is a very fascinating character. Kate Argent is infinitely watchable and infinitely terrifying, you yeah. know, which are two great things. I mean, you want those in a character, you know, you want, you want that to be a character, someone you can't help but watch, but then the whole time you're watching through the fingers of your you're watching through your fingers because you're scared to look at the same time. I'm watching so. through your little wolfy claws. <laughs> I try. I wanted to, because I got Calissa's name on the show. I was trying to find a way to get your last name. I was trying to work that into this conversation. And I, I, never, I Yeah, I was going to say that because oh. it's, you know, it, it, like obviously that wasn't an option for me because, you know. But you did get the perk of being able to hear people say your name on television a lot. And that is definitely a first for me with Will. That's true. That there is are no true. other Calissas I have ever come across on television. I get a lot of uh, Clarissa Explains It All, some Khaleesi's during the height of Game of Thrones. People have stopped that after the Game of Thrones finale aired. Steric. What can you all tell me about Steric? Because I'm still new to all this stuff. It's how sure, long do you have? Well, <laughs> you've been hearing about this for... <laughs> Okay, listeners, this is the first part of a 10-part expose series on (laughs) Steric and why why this ship is amazing. I will truly sail that ship till the end of my days. I feel like even if someone is like, I don't ship it or whatever, I feel like it's impossible to say there's not chemistry. And And I'm not strictly saying like romantic chemistry. I'm like, these two actors as these characters in scenes together always produces gold. Like yeah. it's just, they're just great on screen together, you know, and it's just like they bounce off each other perfectly, like all <laughs> the time. And it's just a great couple dynamic duo, whatever you want to call them. It's like just a perfect combination of characters and it just landed immediately. And it's right. so interesting mm-hmm. to think that, because I feel like looking back on the show, like, you know, from 10 years in and the whole series, they're like, oh, well, this was there from the pilots. Like it wasn't. Like they, this is their first time. This is their first episode where they're like in scenes together by themselves. And then it's right. just like after this, you're like, can we have more? Wait till next season with Abomination. I know. A lot of good stuff coming. There is kind of an odd couple quality where their scenes are just very dynamic because of how different they are. Yeah. And Kate and I were actually talking earlier about a character that's introduced in season three, Cora Hale, (laughs) and how there's a moment whenever it seems like the writers were contemplating having Styles and Cora uh, hook up. And it was so funny because Cora was very much just a female Derek. She's she's She-Hulk to his Hulk, kind of. Like, she's kind of a permutation of 
of his type or his role on the show. I mean, they dress the same. Like they, they both, they wear the same, like, that. yeah, where they wear the same, like, gray Henley with two artfully buttoned buttons and one artfully unbuttoned button. And, like, they're also the two characters who do angry workouts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they're, they're also, they're gift sets with them standing next to each other wearing their matching Henleys and, and then, you know, other gifts of them each doing like trauma pull-ups <laughs> and she's very similar to Derek. She's, and I say, I, I don't say that as like a, a criticism. I found it kind of interesting to see another Hale who was so much like him mm -hmm. because Peter isn't really like Derek other right. than the flair for like sauntering into a scene. <laughs> but like outside of that, they don't really have that much in common. They don't talk similarly. They don't dress similarly. They don't approach situations similarly, but but Derek and Cora do. And I love so the I character I, Cora. Yeah, like I, I don't say it as a as a criticism. I think it's interesting to see, you know, the the familial resemblance between them as characters. But it was a little bit funny to me when there was that hot second where it looked like Styles and Cora might be a thing because I was like, I mean, <laughs> come on. It was come discussed. It was it was I was like, there for it. So because I feel like we can get more into that when we get to that season. Yeah, but I, it reminded me, this is what I was saying to Calissa earlier. It kind of reminded me of when Marvel What If in the Civil War saga, they had an alternate universe where Captain America marries Tony Stark because Tony Stark is born a woman. And they basically just say, if Tony Stark were a woman, he would marry Captain America. And it was like, Guys, guys, when you do something like that, where you have like the the significant difference is just the gender of the character. It is kind of like, it's like this close to an admission that there's really only one thing standing in the way of that making sense for the story exactly. to you. And it's the gender of the characters relative to each other. Yeah, We did have Alyssa now speak about the hesitance because of Derek's undetermined age. But I know there's a lot of other shows where it's just not an issue. Like Angel. Angel was hundreds of years old compared to Buffy. He was like Buffy. 200 years old dating a 17-year-old and like nobody even cared. Yeah. I feel like the Supernatural characters is just kind of different. Like, you know, it's never been an issue with like Twilight, uh, the Vampire Diaries, like all of those shows. They kind of just look past these characters like hundreds of years old. And but then there's also... Girl. Yeah, there's also just like regular teen shows like Pretty Little Liars or Veronica Mars or, you know, or Teen Wolf later. Like, it's just, I, I feel like when it comes to straights, people just aren't that worried about it. And I understand from a representational perspective, you know, that there's still, we have a lot more representation than we used to, but it's still scarce enough that I think there's a lot of concern in the queer community about any representation that could be construed as negative mm -hmm. because you don't want that to kind of play into these pre-existing negative stereotypes about queer people. And I completely understand that, but I just also feel like as a queer person, I'm like, okay, but sometimes I feel like we should also have the space to be like messy. <laughs> and Kate's actually someone who's very sensitive about age difference in relationships. I mean, you still yes. watch Queer as Folk because of the 
what is the character true. being uh, 17 at the time when they meet? Yeah. And it all has to do with how it's handled because I, I'm really sensitive to consent issues in stories. Mm-hmm. I sometimes right. find consent issues very upsetting. That will become abundantly clear once we get to a certain point in Teen Wolf. Sex magic. Sex <laughs> so magic. So I, I don't necessarily... I do, I don't necessarily want that. I don't want them to have adults sleeping with teenagers. I just think that sometimes the conversation around queer relationships, you do kind of have to put it in perspective relative to straight relationship. Like you can have two characters that are the same age and have it still not feel like they're on equal footing or have it feel like the maturity level, there's enough of a differential where that creates sort of a dubious consent yeah so it, it it's not necessarily about just the age of the character it's about the overall portrayal of the relationship and whether it feels like those characters are on an equal footing right I feel like Derek definitely is a character that I could easily see being kind of stuck in a state of arrested development having had the trauma happen to him at his formative teen years and Styles is yet like, as I said previously, kind of like the best person to bring out his younger side, where he's more on equal mm-hmm. footing with Styles. And Styles is a character that also has to grow up quickly because of what's going on around him. Not also, to mention the trauma that he shared. Well, he also shares the trauma with Derek in that he has lost um, his fam- a family member very close to him yeah. right. at a young age. Absolutely. I think those are really important points. The other thing too, is that just because two characters have a romantic relationship doesn't mean they're going to be like constantly boning down immediately. Like not all relationships are like that. And not all relationships even portrayed in media are like that. Yeah. Like I would have been totally fine if it was like, okay, they're dating, but like, they're not going to do anything until Styles turns 18. I know that everyone is like, uh, there's no way they would do that. But I think that's just some more like veiled sexist opinions on how people of different genders approach sex. That's not, it's generalizations that aren't necessarily true for everyone. I also think it could have worked very well with Derek's character and helping him to overcome what happened to him in the past, like learning to like trust again. Yeah. Right. It would have been, honestly, it would have just been interesting from a story perspective and from a character perspective to deal with some of this stuff head on instead of it more just being like between the lines. It's pretty oblique in places. And and you're right. I mean, even if it hadn't been styles, if it had been a different character, it's like having a real exploration of that character of, of Derek meeting someone and that person bringing out the, all of the things that he's been working so hard to repress for so yeah, long. Right. You know, I mean, that would have been fun. That would have been a lot of fun just because he's like the most repressed character on the show, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and for a good reason. I mean, he, he, and, and he went through it's a survival. Time. It's yeah. a survival. No, he went through serious trauma and his out and the outcome of that. The lesson he learned was don't let anyone in and don't feel because if you do those things, you're either going to get hurt or they're going to leave. And those are the options you get and, and possibly both or both and he doesn't want to feel that yeah. which is completely understandable so it would have been nice to have some character bring out something you know yeah. something so we have him hooking up with some characters but they don't feel like significant relationships 
they feel very casual and then one we have them hooking up with one character and the other one is that's not necessarily the terminology that's true no i'm sorry that was wrong but so we have (laughs) derek having relationship with brayden but definitely feels very more casual it doesn't feel like you know they're really opening up to each other it's just two sexy people being sexy together Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah we'll get into the jennifer uh relationship in season three i also think it's interesting with brayden that he needs her because she's teaching him to protect himself oh, yeah yes. he's losing his powers and, and everything and she's basically like mm-hmm. you're gonna get murdered if i don't teach you how to hold a gun so i should yeah teach you to do that and I feel like that dick well I feel like (laughs) it makes sense for him because periodically through the show we see him like usually not to the point of actual sex but at least flirting with people or getting shirtless in front of people to get them to do the thing that he needs them to do because he either suspects or knows for a fact that they're not going to help him otherwise yeah Mm. It happens about approximately once a season. Derek Hale is a truly tragic figure. I can say that as a lit major. I can say he is one of the most tragic figures I have ever, like, witnessed. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Tumblr had, like, a a little thing, little poll that was, like, whose life is the worst life? And he was one of the characters listed on there. Like, Job, him. (laughs) 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 Job gets another family later on. It's fine. So he actually... (laughs) <laughs> tops yeah. there. so tragic of biblical proportions right. is what we're saying here yeah it took um, me a second because i was like joe bluth and then, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine I, I went to 10 years of catholic school and i my first thought was arrested <laughs> development so mitch horowitz is your god <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um you know going back to the talking about the hang up, hang up of like the age difference, you know, I feel like Teen Wolf kind of like just cheated when it need to, need to, because Lydia was suddenly 18 when they were talking about wanting to potentially hook her up with Parrish. Yeah. It's like, it's like why is Styles not 18 when it like, right. Else's? Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I wish you would watch Veronica Mars so that you could appreciate there's a moment in Veronica Mars that is like super appropriate to it. And it's where, the sheriff gets caught sleeping with a high school girl and he says she's 18 it's legal and then veronica shows that she anticipated that answer and she holds up a sign that she already had printed and it said she's 18 it's legal and she was like yeah we could totally just put that on your next campaign poster because frankly the fact that you're a sheriff and she's a high school girl is really where the issue lies and not necessarily whether she's had her birthday or not yeah which funny enough veronica had previously had a romantic relationship with a deputy while she was in high school. Right. And, and yeah, that's why I listed Veronica Mars in that list because when it's straight, people are like, yeah, it's fine. And then, oh, we had Riverdale where you had a, a female teacher and a male student and like, oh, I just realized Dawson's Creek also had a female teacher and a male student. Yeah, and the pilot. Anyway, they'd be doing that with straights all the time, yeah. which I don't necessarily like want more of I don't want it to just happen all the time with no important discussion I just also feel like it's unequal enforcement yeah it's like nobody cares when straights do it but 
when it's gay relationships, it's like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Think of the children who are <laughs> children in this relationship that is being depicted <laughs> on screen. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about how did the Argents not realize that Kate was batshit insane? Yeah. I feel like she was telegraphing that all the time. Everything is everything with Kate is a red flag. But I feel like, and I can't remember when we talked about this, but we've talked about before, it's because of a character we haven't met yet. And that's Gerard. I feel like, because Gerard is, yeah, they say the, the women are like the matriarchs and all that type of stuff. But you don't ever see that. That's not a thing. But Gerard is clearly the patriarch of the Argent family. And I feel like, Kate is the favorite son of <laughs> Gerard and you know Chris is still great totally great but I feel like Gerard Kate is a little Gerard in and so I feel like when she was growing up Gerard just fawned all over her and his weird gruff knife throwing gun shooting manner and all <laughs> of that but because of that because it was very because it was very clear that Kate was the favorite I didn't really do anything about it I feel like Chris overlooked a lot of that because I could kind of see, because once you meet Gerard, I feel like even, I don't think we ever really went into this really in depth on the show, but I feel like Chris was trying to get Gerard's approval a lot. And so I feel like he did that. And in order, he, and I feel like one of the ways he did that was kind of overlooking Kate, because like we've said, everything Kate does is a red flag. <laughs> she is always at 11. And, it feels like more of a willful ignorance. Yeah, and it's a will, like, like, like she knows that she's not going to get reprimanded. Like, there is no punishment for her because Papa Argent has her back because he feels the same way. He's like, whatever it takes to kill monsters, I am down for. And if you have to sleep with a minor to get information on how to destroy that minor's family, more power to you, you know? So, and that's just the way it is. So I feel like, that's probably how that's happened is that nobody wants to get in Gerard's way and Gerard likes Kate. So she's but when we do get Gerard, he's the villain of season two. So he is. he's not exactly the, you know, Chris is very loyal to this code. And I just mm -hmm. want to know where did this code actually come from? Because it doesn't seem like Gerard follows it. Doesn't def, Kate definitely doesn't follow it. Yeah. So how did Chris's loyalty come about? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I was kind of thinking about that, and I feel like the code was invented by the maid of Gévaudan, and that's also where the women are leaders, men are soldiers mm -hmm. idea came from. But I also think that over time, it maybe it became more in name only, or it became a name only for Gerard. Like, he just sort of bullied his way into the patriarch role and the consequence is similar to the consequence in the real world when you let men run anything. Um, <laughs> it goes very poorly. Yeah. But then when it comes to sort of his successor, to your point, Will, he is like, well, Kate is the one who takes after me. Yeah. So, you know, but I, Kate does share the story of Givaudan with Allison. So speaking of like picturing characters when they were younger, I just see like, the Argent kids studying up on their history and Kate is like awesome she killed that thing and Chris <laughs> is like she had a very important code that falls down to us and we must keep that code and Kate was like whatever but she killed it yeah do you think she it first and then killed it yikers <laughs> just oh, saying Kate. that's Jeez. Kate 
you're not wrong i mean like she just like sexually harasses everything in sight but like double time if they're an underage person yeah to what you're asking like where did where did chris get this dedication to the code i feel like maybe it's kind of like that thing where when you got multiple kids, like two kids, and one of them is really rebellious and the other one becomes super Christian or something, <laughs> you know, where, the, where where you have one who's one way and then you have the other who's the opposite. And maybe it's Kate's callous disregard for life and all that that pushed Chris into, no, there has to be a code. It's like we had a code once and that's the point is that we hunt those who hunt us. And Kate, you are hunting wrong, wrong can't see me doing the air quotes, but you're hunting wrong, you know? And so that's why he pushes so much for the code just to be like, cause if we don't do this, then we're monsters too. And then someone comes hunting for us type of thing, which does happen. Right. Eventually. So I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you let the code fall by the wayside, we become the monsters and people come for us. And that's exactly what happens on this show. It right. is that the whole, the whole of the Argent family minus, well, no one, I was about to say minus two, but minus one, is gone. You know, like Chris is the only one of the Argent family left by the end of the series, you know? So, and it's definitely all because of Kate and Gerard that they sent the family careening down one path and it was an awful, awful path. And it just ended with death. It is kind of fascinating what happens with Victoria because you're like, she married into the family. So like, where did this extremism come from for her? She's also an Argent. (laughs) The Argents are from Southern France. Oh, I see. So they're from like the Alabama. They're from the Alabama of Europe. (laughs) uh, Yeah. But no, I I always kind of took it like maybe a lot of Hunter families, uh, maybe just the zealotry has, they become crazy. Like it's just this super cult, you know, that being Mm -hmm. a monster hunter is this cult now and that she you know, I, I could totally see that have been like this marriage of not love, but of just strength, you know, that it's like these two, we don't ever really get much or anything of Victoria's family, but it's like, mm-hmm. it was like a marriage of strength. It was like these two hunting families coming together to become an even stronger hunting family. So that's where this zealotry comes from. Cause I mean, I mean, my God, she gets bitten and she's like, I totally got to kill myself. And it's like, what? Or not. Or not. <laughs> or she would not. have definitely been an abomination. Oh, yeah. God, my God. Uh, yeah. What monster would she have been? I can't wait till we get to Gerard next season just because he's a fantastic character. And you really get to see after seeing Caden this season and then meeting him next season, it's like, oh, this all makes sense now. Right. You see like, him, you're like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Some stuff is making sense now. <laughs> well, it's just like his introduction is fantastic too. When, uh, was it Matt? Is that the character's name? Is taking pictures yes. at the funeral and Gerard comes and takes the camera and breaks the memory card and gives the camera back. And then you get this great shot of him walking towards camera in slow motion, looking, looking like a badass, you know? And you're just like, <laughs> I get it. I get why there's so much up angst in this family because of this asshole right here. So yeah. Teen Wolf is the only show that I allow so much slow-mo from. It always life. looks amazing. I know, because it always looks so beautiful. Yeah. Any other show, shot. I see them try to throw in a bunch of slow-mo. I'm like, no, get that out. Get get that away from like, me. You're not Teen Wolf. You don't Wolf. deserve it. Dave Daniel didn't <laughs> shoot this. You can't do that. So yeah. Totally. No, it's great. And it's even, I will say, and I say this with all the love in the world, but in the Dread Doctor season, we do use it a ton more, I feel like. But it always looks great. Because I just remember like there's a shot where 
that dread doctors are hunting down the chimeras and there's that one chimera that can turn invisible and he's up mm-hmm. against the the ambulance basically a wear chameleon he's a wear chameleon <laughs> and mm-hmm. the i guess it's the lead dread doctor the geneticist or whatever he's like walking through the parking lot and it's like unnecessarily goes from real time into slow motion but it looks fantastic it just looks so good because they have these great steampunk outfits and they and our sound designers just gave their boots this great clank and all that they just sound so good in slow motion plus he had the cane and he pulls it out and it's the sword and he stabs at the empty air and it turns and that's where the chameleon was and all this and all this it's just it looks fantastic our our show is we said it before like in the pilot and when we when we got to talk to russell it's like our show is so beautiful like it's just a beautiful looking show and again for having like no money to just make it like every single dollar is on screen but um yeah our show just looks so good all the time and it always looks good in slow motion they just knew how to shoot it and to light it and the actors knew what they were doing and it's like so what are we doing guys oh we're shooting that 100 frames nice we're gonna make this good No, I can't wait to get to drive. Can't wait to get to everything on this oh, show. I know. Like literally every single episode is, oh, is that the episode where this happens? I can't wait. I know. You know, just because every episode has something great. And uh, it's going to be so much fun continuing to talk about it with y'all. And that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. And don't forget to find us at patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast for more awesome exclusives. Join us here next week for our look at season one episode Episode 5, The Tell. Rate and review us on iTunes. Five-star reviews get an on-air shout-out or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.